Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greedy owner tries to rip off my friend. Ends up paying him double. My first job out of college was for a local TV station. The owner was, and still is, the worst human being I've ever met. This guy has money, but he'll cheat and lie anything to get out of paying his bills. When I started working there, the owner had just signed a contract with DirecTV to become part of their broadcast package. Since they were at the time purely a local TV station, this meant that we had about two months to upgrade our system so that we can start broadcasting to DirecTV customers in the entire Bay Area. Every day that we fail to do this past the deadline means that the owner would suffer a penalty per the contract. Not knowing how any of this works, the owner hired a friend of mine to come in as a freelance consultant. My friend told him that for about 15,000 US dollars, he can get a system that will automate the entire process which of course this guy didn't want to pay. He tasked my friend with finding a cheaper way, around half, and to pay for all the hardware up front and get reimbursed later. Knowing what a POS this guy is, I warned my friend not to front the money because he wouldn't get paid back. The guy just smiled and said, watch me. So he made it work. We went live on schedule and the owner was happy. Then my friend went in and presented the guy with the bill. Immediately, the usual excuses start. Oh, I'm a little short this month. Can I pay you later? Etc. Etc. Then my friend pulled out the trump card. Not only did my friend threaten to take all the equipment back and take the station off the air, he reveals that in order to get the uplink working for cheap, someone had to come in every day and code the broadcast manually. That's not a terribly complicated procedure. It takes less than five minutes. But of course, no one else at the station knows how to do it but him. So either the owner can pay him what he's owed, plus a $2,000 per month consulting fee, or the station goes dark and he starts paying the penalty to direct TV. This effort paid fast. So instead of $15,000, he ended up shelling out more than double the amount as my friend lapped up his $2,000 per month fee for close to a year before he felt bad and finally taught someone there how to do it. Moral of the story, only thinking about short-term gain will always cost you more in the long run. Honestly, you know, the most crazy thing about this story is that your friend was getting $24,000 per year for five minutes of work a day. And he said, I feel bad about this. That is nuts. I mean, fair play to the geezer. His ethics are on another level because I can't lie. If that was me, at least for a period of time, I'd be loving it. Maybe I wouldn't, you know. I tend to think I'm an all right sort of guy with with good morals. But wow, the temptation to do that every day for five minutes and get that much bread must have been enticing. And to be fair, for a year, it still was. My boss stole my Super Bowl tickets, so I made him lose a major client. With the NFL playoffs back on, I thought you all might enjoy this football-related revenge story. I'm a huge 49ers fan, the rabid all-day tailgate in the parking lot type. A few years ago, we made it back to the Super Bowl. I was working at a consulting firm with a handful of accounts I would interact with directly. One client in particular knew how big of a Niners fan I was. I was the day-to-day lead on his accounts. 
He really liked working with me and we became friends often grabbing drinks or dinner after our meetings He had access to a pair of extra company seats of the game and as a thank you wanted to give them to me as a gift He passed the tickets over to the partner on that account who I will refer to as idiot partner to be given to me as a surprise The game came and went we lost it sucked The next time we met, we went to drinks afterwards and he mentioned, Hey, by the way, why didn't you go to the game? I heard somebody else was in your seats. I asked, what game? And he said, the Super Bowl? Confused, I answered, I didn't have seats at the Super Bowl. He told me that he gave the idiot partner a pair of his company tickets for me as a gift so I could attend. I had zero idea what he was talking about. He looked shocked and told me to quietly ask around about it and get back to him. When I was back in the office the next week, I found out through one of the secretaries that the idiot partner had given a pair of Super Bowl tickets to another one of his clients as a gift from our company. I might have let this sort of thing go to keep the peace under different circumstances, but these were seats on the 30-yard line to see the freaking 49ers play in the Super Bowl. I was fuming. I considered confronting the idiot partner myself, but realized it was the client who had noticed I wasn't there in the first place. So if I let him handle it, there'd be no blowback on me. So I texted him. Hey, I just wanted to thank you so much for thinking of me with those seats. It appears that they were given to another one of our firm's clients. He texted back right away in all caps. Are you kidding me? And then pretend I never told you. Let me handle. He followed up with me about formulating a plan. A few days later, we were asked to come down for a meeting in their office. The client requested the partner to be present, not entirely unusual. So the idiot partner and I hopped on a flight the next week and headed over to their office. Little did the partner know, my client had orchestrated a wonderfully awkward little show to catch him red-handed. When we entered the conference room, it was all the usual suspects, along with a woman in her 30s we didn't recognize. My client immediately introduces, partner, this is Stephanie such and such. VP from another department. She wanted to sit in on this meeting. Hey, OP, you guys must already know her from the Super Bowl. She then responds as she goes to shake my hand. Oh, I don't think so. Did we meet there? I'm sorry if I forgot. The client responds. Geez, Steph, how much did you have to drink? They were sitting right next to you. The client looks at me and I say, sorry, I wasn't there. Are you thinking of someone else? At this point, the partner is looking visibly uncomfortable, probably trying to come up with an excuse. He starts in with an, um, when Stephanie says over him, no, so-and-so from another company were in the other seats. By the way, I was wondering why we gave company seats to those guys. Is there a project we're working with them on that I don't know about? Obviously not. They were in completely different industries. It would be like Coca-Cola partnering with John Deere. The idiot partner lets out an, uh, again, and the client immediately speaks over him, asking, partner, I gave you those tickets for OP. At this point, the partner is turning bright red. He responds, Oh, oh, well, he wasn't able to make it, so he must have given the seats away to someone else? And turns to me, looking for me to cover for him. The client smirks at me. I respond, Uh, what are you talking about? You gave me tickets to the Super Bowl? The client suddenly raises his voice. Partner, those tickets were a personal thank you gift from me to OP. Did you give them away to someone else? Was it another client? The partner butts in with, Oh, um, maybe something got mixed up in the office. The client went quiet for what probably seemed like an eternity to the idiot partner. He then looked down, grabbed his portfolio and iPad, put them into his briefcase and said, I think this meeting is over. OP, it seems as if I owe you a thank you gift. Let's go to lunch. Stephanie, you're welcome to join. Partner, I need to evaluate our relationship. 
please go back home and expect to hear from us next week The partner suggests that he would like to join presumably to do damage control and stephanie sternly tells him I don't think that's a good idea and she asked the front desk to see him out. As soon as he's in the elevator, we all break out laughing hysterically. Stephanie wasn't really a VP, just an employee at the company who the client had drafted into helping with his pre-planned meeting scare. But she did end up coming to lunch with us and was a fellow Niners fan and a total blast to hang out with. On our way to the restaurant, I got a desperate text from the idiot partner saying I needed to cover for the firm and that we could discuss things when I got back. I replied, yes, we need to talk, but I'll see what I can do. The client told me to wait a couple of hours and then respond to him. One, to expect invoices for the resale value of the Super Bowl tickets. Resale is way above face value. It was over $10,000 as well as our lunch. He picked a pricey spot and made a big show of overspending and that he expected them to be paid immediately. Two, expected I be given a direct apology. Three, expected a written apology to his company for what he considered theft. And four, he will only interact with me or another one of our firm's partners, never the idiot partner. The whole thing caused a stir with the other partners. And I actually came off looking great because it appeared that I'd made a good faith effort to save the client for the firm despite being the victim in this situation. The client would transfer to another partner, which meant the idiot partner lost his profit share on any work with them. Oh, and the other partners in the firm made the idiot partner pay the invoices back out of his salary. In retrospect, I really have no idea what the heck the guy was thinking. Did he seriously believe the client would just not notice me not thanking him for the tickets? Anyway, the well was kind of poison for me there long term because the idiot partner wasn't going anywhere. I left the firm a few months later for a much better position. The client ultimately terminated their relationship with that firm a year later. He actually now works with a good friend of mine at a competing firm. I'm still angry that I missed out on the Super Bowl, even though we lost. Hoping we make it back this year so I can finally go to one in person. Go Niners. Honestly, what sort of human being do you have to be to essentially steal a $10,000 ticket from a worker, from an employee of yours? That is disgusting. Like you being their boss means absolutely nothing. Just in terms of being a nice person. How can you do that? That's insane. And that is before we even get into the fact that this is obviously going to ruin a reputation with one of your big clients. Like, how did you expect this to go? The client never to ask, oh, so did you enjoy the game? Did the surprise go well? And then be like, you didn't go? Okay, what's going on here? Like, that was a, that was an inevitability. I, I just don't understand the logic here. There was none, clearly. And the saddest part about this entire story is that the partner keeps their job. That should not be allowed. I'm sorry, that is a sackable offense. If you're taking something that is a gift from one of your clients and then giving it to another client, I mean, I'm not sure if it's fraudulent, but it's definitely very unethical and immoral. He should be sacked on site. The good news is that you look great out of this. However, you did miss the Super Bowl with your team playing. Like, if I put myself in that position, if I was offered tickets to see Chelsea in the Champions League final, to see Chelsea in the Champions League final, stop the cap. And I didn't know about it. And then someone else went instead of me. I would be fuming. I wouldn't even care about my job at that point. That is the truth. Now for our next revenge story. Nukes my wife's lover. A little over a decade ago, my then wife decided to get a divorce. We had two kids, a 13-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And even though our sex life was non-existent, I really didn't want to get divorced and break up the family. It turned out that the reason she had killed off our sex life was that she had been cheating on me for quite a while. She'd planned everything out years in advance and had set it up so that the divorce would be final at the same time she finished up the last semester of her master's degree. Then she was going to take the kids and move to Dallas to live with her fiance. 
even showed me the engagement ring. Long story short, you could say the divorce was ugly, in much the same way you could say the bombing of Hiroshima left the place rather messy. When the smoke cleared, I wound up with custody of the kids, so she literally packed up a U-Haul and drove off to Dallas to move in with her fiancé. Then she stopped paying child support. I had to get the state attorney general's office to sue her to get her to pay up. Since she'd gone ahead and moved to Dallas, she had very little contact with the kids. And when they did go to her place, they hated it. Her new hubby, we called him the step douche, had no interest in the kids other than to bully them. It wasn't physical, but it was still bullying. For example, when my son was 15, he wanted to go to a horror movie convention in Dallas. I couldn't afford to go with him, but I scraped up enough money so that he could. The ex said she'd pick him up at the airport, drive him to the convention, take care of him while he was in Dallas, make sure he had a good time, etc. So I got him a plane ticket and a three-day convention pass. Instead of taking him to the convention, they used him to help them move all weekend. By the time he got to the convention, it was Sunday afternoon and everything was shut down and everyone was going home. The step douche was a huge jerk and was constantly making things as hard as he could for both me and the kids simply because he could. This is just one example. He also occasionally beat the heck out of my ex, but that's another story. Wow. It's important to note here what the step douche did for a living. He and a couple of other partners ran a small business slash scam that solicited people to invest in oil wells. They ran a call center. Some of his disgruntled employees posted online about this and cold called folks to talk them into investing. They would then get this money together and they were supposed to use it to buy old oil wells, rework the well to get it producing again, and the investors all got a share of the proceeds. I know that they actually did do this on a couple of occasions. They had pictures of the well on the firm webpage, but how much of the investors' money was actually invested and how much went towards the step douche's rented Mercedes and suits and such, I don't know. I know that the step douche and my ex went to a lot of rock concerts and pro football games but i also know that at least one of his partners was apparently honest more on that later and the firm was big enough they hired my ex to work there at least part-time and they had a couple of office assistants too i had spent some time in the military and worked briefly with law enforcement so i pulled every string i could and got as much background on the step douche as i could It turned out that he was on probation for felony cocaine possession and for assaulting a cop. Apparently, he'd stopped off at a truck stop to pick up some party supplies for a Super Bowl party and he bought the drugs from an undercover cop. Nobody knew this, not even my ex. She was shocked when I told her. Not his partners, certainly not the people he was trying to get to invest in his oil well deals. Eventually, I posted his arrest report online. The whole thing, except Step Douche's social security number. I was very careful not to add or embellish anything because when it comes to slander, truth is a defense. As long as I only posted the truth, i.e. the complete arrest report, along with arrest number, record number, etc., and his plea bargain deal, it wouldn't be legally actionable. Court records are public documents. I also said that this was only one side of the story and that people should contact him to find out his side. So I posted all his contact information, including where he worked and the firm website and the firm phone number and I think his home address in the interest of fairness so people could get his side of the story. But I didn't dox him or anything like that, not even once, even though he lacked the legal certifications and background checks required for someone who worked doing investments. I figured his partners could find that out for themselves if they decided to check. I don't know the details of what happened next, but I do know that my ex called me up a couple of weeks later and literally begged me to take my post down. I politely refused. I do know that his firm vanished, website gone, phones disconnected, emails bounced. 
Apparently, people are reluctant to invest their life savings with an unlicensed drug felon. Who knew? The kid said that my ex and the step douche had to move into a hotel for a while. So what happened to the house they were renting? I don't know. Finally, they moved back to our city and step douche got a job working for a buddy's exotic car company. Customers would come into the company and request a particular kind of car and he had to go and search the internet to find a matching one that was for sale. I don't think it was a high paying position. The ex went back to the job she had before the divorce though with another company and she was the big breadwinner I know that they were dodging creditors for a long time because I would occasionally get phone calls from bill collectors asking for my ex-wife These guys always found me to be very cooperative since I dropped the kids off at their place for the visitation weekends I knew exactly where they lived what their phone numbers were where the ex worked everything Then I would call her brother my ex-brother-in-law and tell him that his sister was in financial trouble again I think he helped her out a few times. I once got a call from a bill collector that was out to repo the Harley my ex had bought step douche as a wedding present. I was able to tell him not just where they lived, but how to get up to the property unseen. There was a small drainage ditch that ran alongside and that when I dropped off the kids on Saturday mornings, step douche normally had the garage door open while he did yard work. I don't know if the repo man uses information or not, but they did go from a three car and a Harley family to a one car family over the course of a few months. Since they only had one car, Step Douche made the ex take the bus to work. Finally, my daughter was brave enough that she used her iPhone to record one of Step Douche's rage fits where he slapped around my ex. I was able to take this to court and get a restraining order requiring him to be at least 500 feet away from my daughter at all times. This meant that my ex still had visitation, but that my daughter didn't have to go over to their house anymore. Eventually, Step Douche got fired from his job. He has real problems with authority figures and he hasn't worked in like five years. My ex finally left him. On top of abusing her, he was also cheating on her. But for some reason, nobody understands. She still pays all his bills, which means she has to sell plasma to try and make ends meet while he hangs out at strip clubs. But that's not my problem. A couple of years later, one of his partners started up a new oil and gas firm and went to long lengths to get it certified by the Better Business Bureau. And every other look we're really honest website he could find so it seems likely he didn't know that step douche was as slimy as he turned out to be well there we go a great read great revenge i'm not gonna lie a pretty tragic situation i'm not sure who i feel worse for in this spot op you or your kids both just awful and i'm sorry i had to go for all of that did quite enjoy you saying that you uh you posted all his content information including where he worked the website his phone number his home address but not doxing him that's that's very good because uh yeah doxing is definitely completely different to that and you definitely didn't do that like, i don't know actually legally how loud that is but if you thought it was okay and you say you're an ex-cop then you're probably all right i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A fitting twist. Background. I had a pretty terrible childhood. Don't get me wrong, I've heard of way worse, but it was far from healthy or normal. When I was young, my parents were millionaires, my father's parents owning several of the largest businesses in the region. They divorced before I was a teenager and both of their lives plummeted downhill. 
By the time I was 16, I was living on my own. Drugs, alcohol, and addiction have long since killed them both. Neither of them ever worked a job since I was a teenager. Both of them died homeless before the age of 50. Situation. I joined the military and left town without ever looking back. As more years passed, I added more and more distance, physically and mentally, from my parents. When I was 20, I learned that my mother had been arrested for stealing a large sum of money from my grandmother, who was living on her own, but in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. The state ended up pressing charges against my mother because my grandmother would not. The detective told me that they had to because my mum and her POS boyfriend were fueling the criminal underground where she lived. I was lost and shocked. I knew my mother had problems, but until this moment, I'd always viewed her as a sort of forest hippie. This is the moment that is the catalyst for my nuclear revenge. You see, my grandmother was pretty wealthy. Terrified that she would be locked away in an old folks home, she entertained the leeching of my mother and POS guy. The problem is that it was never enough. Even after my grandmother bought my mother a house down the street from her, she continued to rob her own mother blind. She also fed my underage sister a stream of drugs and brought her in on the con. It ultimately resulted in my mother and sister getting their first felony conviction. Grand theft and check fraud, which my mother tried to pin on her own daughter because she was just a minor. A few years later, I was newly married with my first child and freshly returned from my first deployment to Iraq. We just completed another move across the country and I'm starting a new job at a new unit. I get home from work and have a strange short voicemail from my uncle, who is like the okayest guy I've ever met. It literally just says, My mum is in the psych ward at the big hospital in her town. She left everything in your name. I'm flying back home. This is where I learned that the legal document my grandma had me sign when I was 16 made me the executor of her estate, power of attorney, etc. My unit arranges a very generous amount of time off to fly across the country and deal with this bizarre scenario. She lived alone in this massive house. My mum had destroyed the house my grandmother bought her, then moved into grandma's house on the auspices of caring for her. There were so many fleas inside that the contractors I hired to make repairs wouldn't go inside. Needles everywhere, and for some reason, everything was an ashtray. It was an insane thing to witness and experience. I still refused to interact with my mum at this point of my life. But now that I had the keys to the kingdom, aka access to the pot of gold, she tried to worm back into my life with a renewed vigor. I always just told her to F off. My grandmother, in the meantime, had been deemed unfit to live on her own. I was 23 with a new baby and marriage, if you remember, so I made the poor decision to put my grandmother into a nursing home. I fixed up the house, rented it to create passive income so she would not deplete her savings, and headed back home. Of course, grandma is spicy and got kicked out of her swanky retirement home when she broke a coffee cup over some other lady's head for snooping around in her room. She was apparently wearing my grandmother's shoes when she got clocked. The same woman, a resident, had propositioned me in front of my wife when we were touring the facility. She was a different kind of the same spicy as grandma. Her only option after the incident was a psych ward. So my senile grandmother moved in with my family and she lived with us for more than five years until her care was just out of our capability. This is about the time that I exacted my revenge. The nuclear option. When the state filed charges against my mother, way back when I was 20, part of her restitution included a lien that was placed against her property in the name of my grandmother for a little less than $100,000. Some years later, my mother had not paid her property taxes in so long that she was about to lose the house. 
She called me to explain that the lien would not be paid if the house was auctioned, which I knew was not true, but I saw an opportunity. I eventually worked out a deal with her. She would sign the deed over to me and I would then sell the house and pay for her to move somewhere else. I fly to town, meet her and sign the deed over. She expected me to use my name and credit to get her a luxury apartment. She also wanted me to buy her a new truck and let's not forget the moving company. I rented her a U-Haul truck and got her a storage unit that I'd paid for six months. Then I put her and her POS boyfriend up in an extended stay for a little while i fixed up the property and sold it to the same rental group that bought my grandmother's house shortly before i used the money to buy annuities that enabled my grandmother to live in a normal house with a live-in nurse and care at one to four ratio which is amazing for her she still might run out of money because of what my mother did and i honestly don't know what will happen then She's got some years before I have to worry and she is just shy of 100. My mother was on the street within six months. The last time I saw her, she looked like a crazy person who lives under a bridge and she actually did at one point. She was covered in sores, balding and meth out. She'd received the social security disability back payment of what would have been a significant amount for her. She died in the hospital less than three days later. She partied herself to death. The POS dropped her off at the curb and never saw her again. I told the dude I'd give him some money if he gave me the key to the storage unit. Somehow, years later, she'd managed to keep it. I shared the loot with my siblings, gave the POS a hundred bucks, and closed that chapter of my life permanently. Wow, it's pretty insane how a couple of people can go from so much success to this dead at 50 or before 50 like that's unbelievable how someone's life can turn around that quickly as for how your mum was treating her mother your grandma i just can't quite understand that how people can be so cold especially with their own parents who have done so much for them financially yet still they take unbelievable opie has actually said in the comments that although they do have very little sympathy for their parents or the choices they made their goal was never entirely malicious they were actually struggling to pay for their grandma's care by the end and the cost just kept rising so they kind of had to do something even if yeah he could have been a little bit more amicable but they were stealing from his grandma who needed the money like what are you gonna do in that situation you've really only got one choice just stick with the person and side with the person who actually deserves your help and that was obviously your grandma and not your mum. naval officer didn't want to live with enlisted get fired so this happened about one and a half years ago but i recently heard the news as to how far my revenge went i was a navy enlisted service member and was stationed in yokosuka japan for a few years before i got transferred back stateside i worked in the main hospital that cared for service members and their beneficiaries it's a small hospital so everyone knows everyone shortly after i left i caught wind of a new physician officer working in the radiology department my friends would say he's horrible to work with but that's nothing new however someone saw him print a letter that he left on his desk and they took a picture of it and sent it to me he's requesting to move from enlisted housing to officer for context military housing is available for those who are married have a family or are qualified based on their rank and depending on the military base itself Typically, officer housing is much nicer than the enlisted housing. In Yokosuka, housing is basically the same all around because it's overseas. But most of the housing is apartments, and each apartment complex is called a tower. For example, Fuji Tower. There are nine towers, and two are for the officers, since enlisted members outnumber officers by a lot. Now, one thing about the military is that trash happens. When getting stationed, it is the active duty member's responsibility to either apply for housing on or off base before arriving, depending on what's allowed. If there is limited space and you don't apply for housing on time, then you get put where there is space. 
So our new officer got placed in an enlisted tower Mind you enlisted members have families of their own and other officers have been placed in enlisted housing before without an issue So here are some quotes in his letter and yes, this guy has a phd I have many valid objections to living in a building of almost all enlisted and even many lower enlisted being an officer There is a lot of crime violent actions drug use and alcoholism that happens in enlisted housing There's also sexual assault and other perverts I have a good-looking family a wife and two daughters aged three and four They are prime targets to be victims for these enlisted deviant activities My family should be safe in housing that is with officers Officers are much more respectable and these types of deviant activities are incredibly rare compared to the deviant activities of enlisted being commonplace Hang about these guys are his colleagues. No other officer families will not want to visit us because our family lives on enlisted housing My children need to make friends with other officer children. My wife needs to make friends with other officers wives I need to make friends with other officers and finally forcing an officer to live in a large apartment building with almost all enlisted is unethical wow you get the idea so this guy basically looks down on all enlisted service members assuming every single one is a drug user a pervert a pedo a criminal etc the kicker he was an enlisted army member before going to officer school in civilian terms think of a manager that discriminates and calls all of his subordinates criminals violent alcoholics pervs drug users etc based on your job position Forgetting that some have a family and you know, maybe aren't any of those things and he not only has the authority to ruin your work life He can ruin your personal life too He can deny days off make you stay late write you up if he doesn't like you and not letting you get promoted Safe to say everyone was fuming and I have nothing to lose I was separating soon and figured i'd have some fun before I get out I created a burner facebook account and posted the letter and the officer's picture on a popular military enlisted group page Within two days, it spread like wildfire. But I wasn't done yet. The military has something called challenge coins. Think of trading cards, but custom coins that come in many shapes and sizes. I designed one with his face and a big middle finger in the back. On top of that, I designed stickers to show how proud us deviants are. Other coin designs came from other people as well, but so far, I think mine was more popular. I sold over 70 coins to the initial person who originally sent me the picture at a huge discounted price so she could sell them for a profit for herself. So the officer's face is everywhere because most people keep their coins displayed on their desk. No matter where the officer went at work, he would see his face on someone's desk. And since it didn't have his name on the coin, you can't officially say it's him. I sold more stateside and even some got sent to Europe. I made about $3,000 overall, which was nice. The story even got featured on the online naval newspaper and on two popular YouTube channels. And if you're military, you know the only time big military care is when it's too big to sweep under the rug. This story got the officer sent up to captain's mast, which is like Navy courts. He tried to say his wife was the one that wrote the letter, but no one's buying it because her writing style is way worse. She even tried to take the fall, but nobody believed her. They both ended up deleting all social media. Due to this, he got served three UCMJ articles, which basically are his offenses. But there's more. When you're in the military, you have a deadline on how long you can be a certain rank. If you don't pick up, then you're kicked out. And because he's new and got served UCMJ articles, he won't be up for promotion. And therefore, he was involuntarily separated. 
Also, the officer program he went through pays for his PhD. When the military pays for your PhD, you have to serve 10 years to pay them back. If you don't complete the 10 years, you have to pay the military back with money instead of time. So he lost his job and now has to pay back the military for his PhD. And since it takes a while for the paperwork to have him and his family sent back stateside, you can bet he socially suffered because no one worked with him. This is honestly the lowest of the low. Imagine you take on a new job, you're all excited. And you hear your boss talking behind you about how he doesn't want to be associated with people with employees at your level because they're all horrible deviants they steal they're good for nothing etc etc purely based on your rank your position in that job compared to your boss as your boss that's exactly what's going on here just like insane stereotyping based on your level of employment it's utterly ridiculous you would never ever want anyone like this in a position of power any job ever let alone in the military and the navy like that's insane i just don't really get how he thought he could get away with this and those reasons for wanting to move to a different location to live in just awful at least give some proper reasons like i want to be with officers because i am an officer that's reasonable but then don't say it's because you hate the rest of the staff and the rest of the navy for no reason at all insane people are actually saying in the comments that they remember when this got international press attention and if you are watching on youtube and you know the youtube channels that cover this story let me know because i'd love to you know research this a little bit more i can't believe this actually happened though and the fact that everyone bought coins and you made a profit out of it oh great story fantastic revenge racist bully ruins my life i annihilated hers so the title is self-explanatory but you will be surprised when i a 28 year old woman was in elementary school i had a bully i'll call her aya because it's the only nice thing i will ever do for her it all started in the first grade she was the instant popular girl because she talked about her time in ghana she was born and raised there up until she was four years old when her parents immigrated to america and i thought that was so cool because the only immigrants i've ever known were from mexico i'm also mexican which is something you need to remember because we lived in texas I asked her what life was like in Africa. She looked at me and said in a very smug voice, a lot better than Mexico. I thought that was weird, but I let it go because we were kids at the time and I think she just wanted to be cool or something. As the year went on, she always made offhanded comments about me being Mexican and it was always directed towards me. It wasn't until the second grade when we were just learning this brand new word that we've never heard of before, racism. Seven-year-old me at the time vaguely understood it because my mum taught me the words that were derogatory towards us and wanted me to be aware of them. Anyway, we were watching a cartoon about Martin Luther King Jr. and we were at a scene where the protesters were being unjustly arrested. I thought it was cruel and didn't think it was fair. Aya, though, looked at me and shouted, A b- like you would never understand. For those who don't know, the word b- is a slur against Latin people. Sure, it's not as disgusting as the N-word, but it is a disgusting word to people like me. And I've been called that a lot of times, even back then. I was horrified being called that in the middle of the class. And I looked at my teacher, who just shrugged her shoulders and went back to the show. I couldn't believe it. We're learning about the civil rights movement, and I was called a racial slur in front of everyone. I tried asking my teacher why she didn't say anything, because what Aya called me was a bad word towards me and my ethnicity. But all she did was say, it's just a word, OP. Sticks and stones. I ran home in tears and told my mum everything. She was upset at first, but at the time she told me that Aya probably didn't know that that word was a bad word towards Latin people. And maybe she'll figure it out when she's older or say sorry the next day. How wrong my mother was. For the next four years, Aya would throw racial slurs at me, calling me a b- 
who eats nothing but beans or a wetback because I must have crossed the Rio Grande River. I begged her every single time to stop and I went to my teachers pleading with them for help, but they never did anything. It wasn't just the racial slur she threw at me. She would insult me for the way I looked, the way my hair was, why I was bigger compared to the other girls who were slim. She wasn't a model herself either. Things got worse in the fourth grade. I was going through a rough time because my mum was dating a man who drank beer as if prohibition ended. He also smoked heavily and the smell would end up on my clothes, which added fuel for Aya's fire. It was when D-A-R-E was a big thing back in the day. Aya would always use me as an example about the dangers of smoking, pointing out how the smell was so bad that she constantly plugged her nose every time she walked by me. It led to rumors of me never taking a bath that followed me up until the end of sixth grade. At this time, my mum was starting to realize that Aya was not stopping and she tried contacting the school, but all she would get was that it was just a disagreement between two classmates. She wrote notes for me to give to my teachers, but nothing would happen. And in the fifth grade, things really took a bad turn. My grandfather passed away and his death hurt me so much that even to this day, I still feel that raw pain of his passing. Word got out to my school and Aya walked up to me saying how sorry she was that my grandfather was gone. I naively thought that maybe, just maybe, she'd stop being a bully and say sorry for saying racist things towards me. Nope. It's sad that he died to get away from you. I would too if I realized my granddaughter was so ugly. I broke into tears while she and a few of her friends laughed. And as always, none of my teachers did anything to stop her. I told my mum who managed to finally get a hold of my teacher and demanded that she do something about it or else she was going to go up there and make her stop herself. So for the first time in the whole year, my teacher walked up to Aya and told her to stop being so mean to me. Aya looks at her and bursts into tears, crying that she was being so mean. It's because I'm black, isn't it? Immediately, my stupid teacher backed off. I would go on to use that phrase every single time any of our teachers even attempt to do something. Now, you're probably wondering how she ruined my life. Well, I'm getting to it. Things slowly quieted down when I was in sixth grade, but I was plotting something. I used to draw anime a lot. I wasn't any good, but I practiced every single day and slowly my skills were improving. I was drawing the main cast of Sailor Moon during free period and it was a decent first attempt really. For once, there were no stray pencil marks and I didn't have to erase as much. I left to go to the bathroom and when I came back, my drawing was ruined. It had pen marks everywhere with the words and wet back in permanent marker all over it. I was devastated and broke down. I worked so hard on that drawing and it was vandalized with hate. I looked over to a group of desks where Aya was sitting and I saw her laughing. She and a couple of her girlfriends were saying how funny it was that I was crying over a stupid picture and I saw that she had that stupid permanent marker on her desk. I marched up to her and yelled at her. I demanded to know what it is about me that she hated so much. Why was she acting like a racist towards me when I did nothing to her? Sorry to interject here, guys, but you say acting like a racist, OP. That's not acting. That's just being racist. I was crying, I was screaming, and my teacher told both of us to go to the office. I thought we were finally going to solve the issue, but as always, I was wrong. My principal looked at the both of us and said that I should apologize to Aya. What? I asked. Apologize to Aya for yelling at her. Just because you're upset over drawing doesn't mean you have to yell at a classmate for it, the principal replied. But she ruined my drawing. She wrote slurs all over it. I should point out that she even had permanent marker stains on her hands. Why aren't you telling her that you don't tolerate racism in this school? 
Why are you always taking her side? I'm not taking sides, young lady, but those are just words. Sticks and stones. I honestly didn't know what to feel at that moment. I realized that I was getting away with her racism and there was nothing I could do about it. I still refused to apologize and the principal called my mum, who demanded the principal do something about Aya, but nothing happened, as always. After that incident, Aya was emboldened at the fact that she could get away with the bullying and made my life hell. She destroyed me. It was to the point where I could no longer draw again. Even to this day, if I even tried to draw a character I liked, I would break into tears and just stop. My mum tried everything. She pleaded, she demanded, she threatened, but my school just brushed her off as an overprotective single mum who just didn't like seeing her overly sensitive child hurt. From my mum's perspective, from what she told me, she watched as her happy-go-lucky little girl slowly morphed into a sad and combative teenager. I developed a hatred towards my own ethnicity and I cried that I wished I was white because I hated being called those words and I hated the way my face looked because I could see my Native American features. That's right, I'm indigenous too. She made me hate myself. It was only after elementary school that the bullying finally stopped because she went to a different junior high school. But just because I was able to get away from her didn't mean that the effects of her bullying stopped. I had to go to therapy to get the terrible things she said to me out of my head and slowly regain myself as a person. My family who knew of the bullying gathered around me and gave me unconditional love and support. All the while telling me stories of our ancestors who started our family. How they fled Spain during the Texas Revolution. I even went to the tribe I was descended from to help gain a better understanding of my indigenous roots. And they helped me immensely as well. Yeah, Ira and I ended up going to the same high school. But I avoided her like the plague because I wanted nothing to do with her or her BS. Aya was a model student and during black history month We used to have an assembly where we talked about the great black figures in history She'd always go on the podium and talk about how proud she was of her race and that we should embrace everyone of different races Religions and all that good stuff It took all of my willpower and constant reminding of myself that what happened in elementary school was in the past To not laugh and roll my eyes. I just thought she was a piece of work fast forward to 2021 I was packing up my room because I was getting ready to move some of my stuff to my new house with my then fiance, now husband, while we were planning our wedding. I was reading a book on my phone when I got a notification from someone I hadn't seen since high school. It was Aya. I'm an adult now, so instead of feeling the terrible anxiety I would always feel whenever I would get a note from her, I just looked at it annoyed and wondered what the heck did she want, and I opened it. Apparently, she was hosting our elementary school reunion because the old building was being torn down in place of a new one. She was inviting everyone who went to school there so we can say goodbye to the old girl. Honestly, I didn't want to go because that school has done nothing but bring me grief and anger. Just driving by her over the years would make my heart pound uncomfortably. I wanted to decline, but I thought to myself, that stupid school will be destroyed. Why not spit on it or something? And then something sparked in my head. This could be my last chance to expose Aya for what she really was. Aya, the no good racist who takes joy in other people's misery. And it wasn't just me that she threw racial slurs at. She was like that to everyone. From the girl who was from Delhi to a Chinese student who ended up transferring to a different school because he couldn't take it anymore. So, the planning. Having dinner with my mum, I asked her if she remembered the girl who used to bully me. She gripped her fork and said that she did remember and how much she hated that little female dog. I asked her if she remembered going to the school many times to complain about her and she said yes and that she'd written down everything that was said 
And knowing my mum, she never threw anything away because it was important documents. So I decided to look into her old files and I found them. It was not only the notes that mum took, but it was also full of the hateful messages that Aya wrote to me, even my Sailor Moon drawing that had those terrible racial slurs on it. The terrible feeling of self-hatred and sorrow came back in full. I was close to tears seeing that drawing and those notes. I really wanted to know why she had so much hate in her heart. After calming myself down, I went to work. I printed copies of the notes along with a note from my principal, which said it seems that Aya called OP nasty words based on her ethnicity. It was even signed by that principal, which proved two things. I was a racist and the school knew but refused to do anything. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, the revenge. The little party was basically a barbecue on the school playground. I showed up in casual clothing and saw my old classmates for the first time in years. To say the least, I was the only one who still looked fresh-faced and not worn down by parenthood. I did catch up with a few of them, most of whom were actually Aya's victims, but unlike me, they ignored her when she would bully them. Looking around, I actually saw some known members of our local equal rights group. I assume she invited them because Aya made a name for herself over the years since graduation. It almost made me feel sorry for what I was going to do. And when I mean almost, I mean never. The little barbecue went by smoothly and Aya was talking about the beautiful memories that she had at our school and that she was so thankful that they welcomed her with open arms because she was an immigrant from a faraway country and was worried of not being able to belong. I remembered how proud she was when she first walked in our class. No fear at all. After her passionate farewell speech, everyone in our class took turns saying their own farewells. They half-assed their speeches and some just said the school was awesome. When it was my turn, I looked around and saw everyone staring at me. Aya is standing there with a confident smile on her face as if she thought that I was so beaten down that I'd just say whatever with the school and that's it. But nope. Over the years since graduation, I sort of developed a I don't give a frick attitude. I say what I say and I will do a microphone drop if I have to. I talked about how I was so nervous going to the school because it was something new and I knew that it would lead me to a path of adulthood. I talked about how this dang school had brought nothing but nightmares, horrible teachers and a terrible student who bullied me so much that my poor mother had to spend thousands of dollars of her life savings just to give me therapy because I could not function well. I then looked at Aya and said that she was a prime example of the American dream, an immigrant who worked tirelessly to make it in this complicated country. I then said in the same smug tone of voice that she had 20 years ago, I am so glad you grew out of your racism. And with that, I stood up and left. And remember what I said about those notes my mum kept? Well, I sent them to that local group anonymously and told them that their star volunteer was not who she was. Now, I thought that that would be the end of it, but I did not know of the absolute poop storm that I caused. Aya's reputation destroyed. When the leader of the group saw the notes, he was livid. He immediately told her that she was no longer welcome and said that she was a terrible example for the people they were helping. Her fiance dumped her. She lost her job. And as it turns out, her parents never knew of the bullying. I guess my principal decided that it wasn't worth calling them years ago. They were angry with her and demanded to know where she got this attitude from. Because from what I found out, her father works in a business that required them to travel to and from Ghana and he worked with many interesting people. On top of all that, my former principal apparently lost a special award she got for her contributions to our school district when the superintendent happened to get an envelope containing my mother's notes and he was just as livid. I got an apology from the school district along with other victims of Aya. They accepted that just to get it over with. 
but I politely refused, saying that it was too little, too late. I did get comments from my former classmates saying that I should have just let it all go. But here's the thing, I did get over it. I wanted nothing more than to just close that chapter in my life and move on. But seeing her name in that email really triggered something in me. And knowing that she was running around saying things which were the opposite of what she really believed, I wanted her to feel broken the same way as I felt. My mum was neutral about it. I don't resent her because she did everything she possibly could to stop the bullying. I am thankful for that because in some stories I've seen on Reddit about people being bullied, their parents do absolutely nothing. Yep, you're absolutely right. I'm in a much better place now. I moved out of state after I got married and I'm happy. Aya has attempted to contact me demanding I apologize for ruining her life, but I just ignored her and blocked her. I wish I knew why she had so much hatred. I was never rude to her. I thought she was cool the fact that she was from Africa. I loved their culture and I thought it was awesome that she was a part of it. I also wish I could draw again because it was my only escape from a troubled life I had aside from the bullying. I'm just glad I was able to regain love for who I am as a person of Mexican descent and of indigenous background because she really made me feel like I was worthless for it. So that's the story of how I ruined the life of my racist bully with the plot twist being that she was black and I was Mexican. Sure, the words she said were probably just words but those words were very derogatory to me and many people of my ethnicity and it's just as degrading as being called an n-word to a black person and it also shows that even black people can be the worst racist i'm not saying that all black people are racist because i've met amazing black people in my lifetime who truly believe in racial equality i wanted to keep this to myself but after seeing the terrible attacks on asian americans since the stupid pandemic happened i noticed that it was sparking a big debate on who should be charged with hate crime we're still not there yet when it comes to truly being equal regardless of race gender religion and orientation but little by little we're becoming a little bit better not much but a little bit and there we have it a truly sad story with a good outcome let's just say that and i've got to say before i even get into commenting on what happened and your entire journey your words at the end op brilliant i couldn't have put it better myself we're getting there i think slowly but surely and you know even if it's not moving as quickly as as everyone well the majority of people would like at least we're making some improvements generation on generation it is very interesting that you say that racism is not just from white people because in reality and this is a bit of a controversial statement but if you think the only racist people in the world are white then that actually is a form of racism because as we've seen in the story it's not true and obviously it's not true anyway anyone from any race of course can be racist and um yeah it is a shame that people like that are still about even in the year 2023 now as for aya herself and the story in general there's not really too much i can say it's just a very very sad situation that you had to go through this bullying is obviously horrible couple that with racism it's, it's actually nuts and look obviously so many negative things came of this the fact that your mom had to spend loads of her hard-earned savings on therapy to try and help you out of the situation from what i will say it does seem as though you are pretty much there but as you said at the end you know you can't draw this girl in school has taken away one of your passions drawing because it brings back so many bad memories that's just a truly horrible thing what i always think about when i read stories like this is how would this person op how would they have turned out how different would they be as a person if this didn't happen to them because we'll never know and that is the truly sad thing they could have been the happiest person ever and i'm not saying that they're not going to become that is a different life path and maybe everything happens for a reason but nonetheless 
It's extremely sad to read a story like this and just see how negatively someone's life was affected by someone like Aya. Hey, I will say though, and I forgot to mention, the revenge itself is great because it's quite anonymous. It's also quite an easy revenge and it's very justified, of course. There is no way that someone should be allowed to get away with doing all of this and then have the role they have right now knowing how they actually feel about these sort of things. And look, not saying that Aya couldn't have changed, but for someone to have those views as a child and then moving on into, you know, the, the more advanced ages of school, it shows that they probably do have these things ingrained in them. And unless somehow they've gotten rid of all those things and improved tenfold in the last few years, it's safe to say that they still do believe these racist thoughts. And yeah, acting as a racist? Nope, she definitely is a racist. Good for you for getting some revenge. I, a 15-year-old male, indirectly caused the death of my abusive ex-stepdad. Backstory. When I was nine, my mum met a man who, for the sake of the story, we'll call John. John was an unremarkable man. He was a chef and he was from New York living in South Philadelphia at the time. My mum, being emotionally unstable, decided to give him a try after lots of past relationships not working out. Seriously, she has a bad taste in men. And I feel that now is a good time to mention that my dad is dead from a drug overdose. Philadelphia, man. Drugs are everywhere. So my mum was desperate for someone to be that guy who was good for her and me. She gives John a chance and out of nowhere, boom, John has cancer. Came out of the blue and my mum's heartstrings were pulled by him and she was attached to him for good. I was nine at the time, so of course I was a stupid kid who never thought my mum could be wrong. Well, I didn't notice her getting black eyes, but my grandfather did. So one day at a corner store in my neighborhood, he decided to beat John black and blue. He was stuck on the couch for days and looking back, it brings a smile to my face. But he convinced my mum that my grandmother, who was manipulative, manipulated my grandfather to beat him up, so we have to move. After an intervention was held, holy freaking heck, I was there, it was wild, my mum decided to move. We packed our things in our van and I held my 90 pound Rottweiler on my lap and we moved to freaking Florida. Chapter 2 freaking florida i'm gonna admit life kind of sucked here for five years i was stuck in such a dumpster fire of a state with no family support my mum was abused daily and i was mostly mentally abused i also lost my great grandmother at this time and i wanted to go back to philly for the funeral but john said no eventually in 2021 my mum left john and then the worst night of my life happened Chapter 3 Halloween 2021 I was still in Florida, shocker, and I went trick-or-treating with a younger friend. At this point in time, my mum was paying for John's new apartment because she just wanted him gone. Well, that night, he broke into our apartment, took my puppy for a walk, weird time to care about a dog while committing a crime, but hey, my dog had fun, and he smashed everything. My mum decided that instead of calling the police, she would confront him with me alone so we went and as a precaution my mum had a knife on her we went and when we got there there was a girl with john a fight ensued and i called 911. i also beat the everlasting heck out of john unfortunately my mum couldn't see that and she thought that john was winning so she stabbed him it was non-lethal his fat got in the way and he didn't go to the hospital so when the police showed up they gave a good look at my mum with choke marks from the fight and arrested her for assault and breaking and entering chapter four leaving florida and having a very merry christmas well the child came and went my mother is off the hook but she will be a felon until the completion of a program So we left John in Florida and decided to move back north to New Jersey. I know my mum breaking up with John was down to me because I pushed hard for it. Life continues. But November comes around and I receive news that made me burst out in laughter. 
John's sister came forward and told us he shot himself in the head. I even read his final note and everything. I ruined his relationship with my mum and karma came back. Life goes on and he dies unloved and alone. And there we go. A short but sweet start to this episode. I can't help but think that that final act of doing that to himself was his last little message to you and your mother of saying, you know what? I'm going to give you this guilt and emotional trauma for the rest of your lives as I have done for the time that I was alive. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But clearly this guy was a very troubled man and maybe your mum is also a horrible situation. Let's carry on. Now moving on to our next nuclear revenge story. Dude pays me in counterfeit currency, immediately gets arrested. Years ago, roughly 2010, when I was doing pizza delivery, I delivered on campus. Pretty standard procedure, call the customer and wait in the parking lots. Buddy comes down, hands me money, takes the pizza and walks away. Then he starts to run. I look in my hand and one of the $10 bills is ripped in half and the $20 is horribly counterfeit. Dude's already back in his dorm and it's pass activated, so I can't even get in. Then I remembered I have his number in my phone from when I called him. So I call the store, tell them what happened, and they mark his number as a prank caller, so no more deliveries. Figured, hey, that's good enough, I guess. Then, as I was leaving, I see campus security talking to a police member. There was a check stop just before the entrance to the grounds. I stop and walk up and give them the rundown of what happened. Give the counterfeit bill and the writ bill to the officer while the campus security dude is looking up the phone number in the student directory. Campus security finds out who it is and off they go. 10 minutes later, Buddy is in the back of a police car with his dorm mate for theft under $1,000 because technically he didn't pay for the pizza, possession of counterfeit currency, he had more in his dorm, possession of narcotics, possession of a controlled substance, Addies and Zannies, I believe, possession with intent to sell, possession of stolen property, and another charge that I can't remember. I guess he posted bail a couple of days later and came down to the pizza shop to have some words with me, but I wasn't working that night, so Buddy started trashing the lobby and got arrested again for trespassing, criminal mischief, and vandalism. And they found a knife on him as well when they searched him. So there was a weapons charge too, but I think that got dropped. I'm not sure what happened after the second arrest, as I was never called to testify in court, but I'm gonna assume he took a plea deal. He most definitely got expelled from the university though. I'm sorry, but I've got to say that is one of the dumbest crimes I've ever heard of. First of all, it's blatantly obvious the money is not real, so the guy's gonna realize straight away and be like, okay, something's up, probably gonna call the police. Secondly, you've done it outside of your dorm. Everyone knows knows where you live. You've run back inside your own house. It's not going to be that hard to find out who you are. And thirdly, to compile the misery, the guy has your phone number and was literally just calling you on the phone. Yeah, so dumb. And also, the final point is, if you're doing something illegal, just stick to one thing, like stealing a pizza. This is my advice to any criminals watching, by the way. Stick to one thing. Don't have loads of drugs and other stuff in your room and also a knife on you. And then go and trash up a shop. Honestly, criminals these days, man. I swear back in the day, they used to be intelligent. Not anymore. Now for our next story. Delivery drivers and Taco Bell haters should read this. I cost Taco Bell $1,000. Ever since the pandemic started, as you all know, a lot of lobbies are often closed and you have to go through the drive-thru. Where I live, everything is pretty much open, but Taco Bell's always hit and miss. Sometimes a single Taco Bell will go back and forth between the lobby being open, so it's a guessing game. I got a Taco Bell order. I parked so I could go in, but the door was locked. No big deal. Got back in my car and went through the drive-thru. She told me I needed to come in. I told her I tried. She said, you need to go in through a different door. 
I asked if she could just hand it to me through the drive-thru since I had tried to come in already and she just said no and wouldn't respond to anything else I said. Side note, there was nobody in the drive-thru. It was morning and pretty dead. Irritated, I parked again and tried a different door and it was locked. I tried a third door and I got in. She handed me the food and I said in a friendly tone, just so you know, legally, every door for customers has to be unlocked during business hours. It even says that at the top of the doors. She said, I don't like having all the doors unlocked, so mind your business. We got into a small confrontation there and I left pretty irritated. I called a nearby Taco Bell to ask how to contact the district manager and they got me in touch with him. I told him everything that happened and he told me he was going to call them and call me back. About an hour goes by and he calls me back and tells me that the two doors I tried were broken and they were going to get them fixed and us delivery drivers need to stop being upset at every little tiny thing and bothering managers. My irritated mood just went from five to 10 really fast. He kept going on about how us delivery drivers just need to learn. Learn what? I don't know. And how the food industry is sick of us all. I was like, sir, just so you know, I'm disabled. And having to get in and out of the car a bunch is a hassle. But what if someone really disabled was trying to get in and had to try three different doors? Not to mention if there was a fire. It's important to note here that there were two different small parties inside eating. So after he hung up on me, I called Osher and filed a report and they told me to call the fire department right away because yeah, doors must remain unlocked at all times. The fire department and Osher have now gotten back to me and I feel justified. They sent me a copy of the locksmith he had to hire to fix the door that he said was supposedly broken and a fine to the city. The fire department had gotten to the store before the district manager, so the doors in question were still locked and they experienced that for themselves. Every time I call Taco Bell corporate, it just hangs up when you select the option to talk to someone. So I called the more local company that owns the Taco Bells around here and turned in the recording of the phone call with the DM. What could have been solved by handing me the order through the window or God forbid unlocking the doors which were not broken turned in to close to a thousand dollars in fines for that DM and ruined his week. I'm so sick of restaurants treating us like garbage. And guys, just in case you're wondering if this story was real or fake, I've got some proof up on screen. This is just an email kind of confirmation from Osher saying, good afternoon, the store has responded to your complaint. Here's the copy of it. We're now closing this activity, thanks. So there you go. A good complaint, a very worthy one, because as you say, for you, it's not the most annoying thing. Yeah, it's annoying, but you know, you can get around it. Actually, to be fair, you said you were disabled. Take it back. If there was a fire or if someone was severely disabled, that could be seriously annoying and potentially life-threatening. It is illegal after all. So good on you for doing this. Good revenge. And now for our final Reddit revenge story of this episode. Woman road rages against me, gets arrested during Christmas. This happened in early December last year. I'm driving home from school one afternoon and I accidentally cut off a lady in a big suburban. I quickly got back into my original lane and waved an apology after she honked at me. I was a bit tired, so I missed her in my blind spot. I thought that that would be the end of it, but boy, was I wrong. My one careless move triggered a series of road rage incidents from her that I never thought anyone would be capable of resorting to. First, this woman speeds around me and aggressively cuts me off and brake checks me very hard. Mind you, the speed limit was 45 miles an hour and I was already doing 50. She had to be passing me at no less than 70 miles an hour. I give her some room in case she brake checks me again, which she did, bringing our whole lane down to 15 miles an hour, all while flipping me off outside her window. I have a dash cam, so even if I hit her, I could have taken the insurance payout, 
but dealing with insurance is too much of a hassle and i love my car so i didn't want to damage it other cars start passing us so i try to do the same but she dives in front of me again Eventually she lets me pass and I wave her sorry again, which she responds to with the finger Finally, we stop at a red light and she pulls alongside me yelling at me to roll down your freaking window you n-word I'm not even back. Of course. I don't in case she pulls something out on me Other cars are honking at her for blocking my adjacent lane while yelling at me, but she gives zero poops Once the light turns green, I make a loop around the block to try and lose her but to no avail I even haul butt down an open road to see if she gives up. My car is heavily modded, so it can comfortably smoke her SUV, but she persists. I'm thinking, what kind of person has this much time on a weekday to follow someone around? Had I driven home, she could have come back later and done God knows what. So finally, I resort to calling the cops. Unfortunately, I'm right at the boundary of three counties, so I get bounced around dispatchers for about five minutes before finally ending up with the right jurisdiction. I explain my situation, and the dispatcher directs me to drive towards the nearest police precinct while an officer tries to intercept us. During the conversation with the dispatcher, she is still flipping me off and the dispatcher can hear her honking that's how close she was tailgating me it's been over 30 minutes since the original incident from this point seriously who the frick has that much time i stay calm and continue to relay to the dispatcher where i am as i pass intersections finally after what felt like an eternity i saw a dodge charger speeding up behind us I couldn't tell if it was a patrol car as it appeared to be an undercover vehicle. No blues and reds yet, so I confirmed with the dispatcher if there was an officer behind us. It was. Once I saw the lights come on, I pulled over and she promptly followed. As I parked in some church lot, this idiot dove out of her car and only then did she notice the Christmas tree of lights behind us. The look on her face was priceless. And what does this idiot do? She darts towards the officer's car. The officer quickly commanded her to stop, which this bag of meat seemed to understand. Not long after, his corporal and another officer arrived. Now, I'm still sitting in my car waiting for the officer to come to me. I hear the woman making up some BS story and in a few minutes, he comes up to my window to hear my side. The moment I stepped out of my car to talk to him, she yells at me, you freaking suck at driving. This was retaliated by the officer yelling at the woman. I told him my side and about all the brake checking and racial slurs, and she obviously denied it. The instant when I mentioned that it was all on dash cam, her face went pale. The officer saw all the brake checks, excessive speed, and tailgating once I pulled up the footage on my phone. And he then asked me if I wanted to press charges. Well, of course I did. They searched her SUV and found an unregistered Glock underneath the driver's seat and a tiny bag of weed, which isn't legal in my state. This woman got arrested for reckless driving, endangerment, possession of marijuana, and a couple of other things. I was just told to drive carefully with no tickets. Honestly, guys, what is it in this episode with people committing one crime, but then also having loads of other stuff on them, which is really bad and illegal as well? Like, If you're gonna chase someone, tailgate someone for half an hour and be completely reckless and obviously warrant the police being called and then pulling you over, don't have drugs and a gun that's unlicensed in your car as well? Like, does that not go without saying? Clearly not. Look, I'm not sure if that's revenge or it's just complete justice. Probably just this woman doing something illegal and her getting called up on it. But nonetheless, her dumbness, and my dumbness for using that as a word, is nothing short of sensational. Dumbness. Is that a word? Informal. I'll take it. Horrible roommate with insane boyfriend who won't leave? Bye. 
I managed to find an awesome house to rent after college with two other friends One was my good buddy from undergrad. Let's call him ben The other was someone who I got to know through another close friend and let's call her crystal Everything is all fine and actually great for quite some time We lived our own lives but had a great time hanging out together too the perfect roommate situation that is until crystal started dating pablo pablo was the ultimate deadbeat with a napoleon complex just a little over a month into our lease pablo got evicted from his place and crystal asked if he could stay for a short period while he looked for a new one being understanding and empathetic and trusting crystal we had no reason not to we said sure as long as it's temporary big mistake pablo lost his job Pablo had been dishonorably discharged from the military. Pablo was an unsuccessful gambler. Pablo was a drunk. It was New Orleans, so it's not like any of us had a leg to stand on here, but he was a dangerous drunk. He would verbally abuse Crystal, waking up the whole household in the middle of the night with fights. He killed her pet fish by running it under scalding hot water. He would hurl racial slurs at my then boyfriend. He broke Ben's Wii. On numerous occasions, he left the front door wide open. Anyone who knows New Orleans knows this is a bad move, even in the safest areas. He left an empty pot on the stove with the burner on, and I came home to a house full of smoke. He was really putting everyone's lives in danger. Ben and I decided to have a house meeting to discuss our concerns with her. And knowing that sometimes emotions can flare, we came with a written agenda so as to just stick to the facts. Yet Crystal defended him and offered no solution to when he would be leaving and finding his own place. Spoiler, he never would. Really rubbing salt in the wound, Pablo had gambled much of their money and Crystal was having trouble making rent one month. She asked if she could borrow it and pay me back next paycheck again being a trusting empath and feeling like we had no other choice I did I was furious to find out that the two of them had left for a long weekend at a casino resort in mississippi Before having paid me back. Well now for the revenge I've been working two full-time jobs. I saved like crazy and it was 2008 and housing prices had dipped I decided to buy my own home Ben knew all about this So did my landlady and was planning to be my roommate in the new house But I never mentioned a single word to crystal I found a great place made an offer and closed a little thereafter It just so happened that the day I closed on the house when we were already planning to move and just get the hell out of dodge Crystal and pablo took one of their famous casino getaways We got around 15 to 20 of our close friends one of whom had an enormous truck and a giant flatbed Of course someone did it was louisiana many hands make light work and within a few short hours The entire house other than their room was cleared out Oh, and did I mention all the furniture all the kitchen stuff? Everything in the common rooms belonged to either me or Ben. Crystal and Pablo returned home at the end of a full day of gambling, only to find a completely empty house except for their room. We told them we'd switch the utilities that were under my name to the new house, and we'd inform the landlady and paid out our share of the remainder of the lease. The looks on their faces was priceless. We left and never saw them again. Hallelujah. Wow, talk about a quick little piece of revenge there. That is so much to have done in just a few hours. Brilliant scenes. And you're right, with that many people helping out, you can get so much done in such a short amount of time. Imagine the look on Pablo's face. And by the way, this is completely justified. I don't even need to say that, but it is. This guy sounds truly horrible. And all I can think is that I hope your ex-roommate gets rid of him. But imagine that look on his face when he comes back to his house i guess that he's now calling it and just sees everything gone apart from stuff in his own room 
brilliant scenes. Now, the reason I wanted to cover that story in particular is because I am moving out myself in with three roommates, three of my best mates who I've known for over 20 years in just a couple of weeks. And I'll be frank, I really hope this doesn't happen to me. It's unlikely, I would say, because I have known them for over 20 years and I went to nursery, that's kindergarten with them. So I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. One of them might start dating Pablo. Okay, now for our next revenge story. Revenge on the movie producer. Please allow me to note, well in advance, that this story is not mine. In fact, it's a rather popular story in a town I once lived in, Savannah, Georgia, and centers around one homeowner who got royally annoyed with a movie producer. There'll be a note at the end about the fellow this story is about for those interested, and I will be reading that out. Okay, so first and foremost, when movie producers are looking for places to set a movie that takes place in colonial or even 1800 cities in the US, due to the sheer number of parks, wide roads, and period houses, they'll often select Savannah, Georgia. They'll pull all the Spanish moss out of the trees, or trim it back, pour dirt on the roads around the squares, and effectively backdate that part of the city to fit most any place, even up to some having used the area as a setting for places like early Washington DC and even places in Britain or France. Typically, when producers do this, they will pay each homeowner whose house is used as background flavor a couple of thousand dollars for the licensing to do so. This will be important later. Trust me. They issue some rules, like no electric lights being visible, not coming out of any door that faces the street, and you have to move your automobiles away from the drive, if you have a drive. Well, 1979, a producer came from Hollywood with the intention of using Savannah for that very purpose. Specifically, the producer was from one of the big three-letter TV channels and was working on making a made-for-TV movie, talking about the events after the assassination of Lincoln and the subsequent accusations of the doctor present at his death. The production went to the city to seek permission and then sent an announcement out to each of the homeowners telling them of the various days that the shoot was going to take place. However, much to their downfall, they also noted that the production company would not be compensating the homeowners for the use of their homes as backdrops. This was met with some great annoyance by the homeowners, who turned to the city for help, only to be told that it was their civic duty to allow the use of their homes. Most everyone agreed to this and bit their lips. One homeowner, however, didn't. He decided to get revenge on the production, attempting to screw up their shooting every chance he got. He first started by leaving his car out in front of his house, only to have it towed before filming started. He threatened legal action against the studio, but that fell on deaf ears. He forbade the use of his home in some of the shots, but the production company got the city to make him back down. Eventually, enough was enough. So he waited, biding his time until he was certain they were filming. When the day came that his house was being used as a background shot, the homeowner grabbed a massive Nazi flag and hung it out front of the house out of one of the top windows. The production company balked. They knew that this ruined any shot they'd used there. And what's more, they started to question just when he'd put the flag up. Was it just the one day or had all the previous shots, some of which showed the house from across the square, been ruined as well? They turned to the city for help and the city just basically shrugged, saying that it was his first amendment right to do that and implied that had the production company paid the homeowners, as had always been done before, then this probably wouldn't have happened. In the end, the production company had to end shooting and go to the 
homeowner begging for him to remove the offending flag He did eventually do so but only after his lawyer got a contract in writing that required the production company to pay all the homeowners for having their homes in the shots the flag came down and shooting wrapped in less than a day interestingly it's said that in the movie in question the ordeal of dr mud there are several shots where you can see a bright red nazi flag flying from one of the homes in the distance. That stunt cost a producer quite a substantial amount of money and pushed production back at least a year while they tried to find every single instance that the flag flew in the background shots. This homeowner would go on to himself become very famous, though not for a good reason. Even so, he lives on among the legends of that city, both of his revenge against a movie producer and his later brush with fame. All right then, a little note from OP about who this guy is. The fellow in question is none other than Jim Williams. Williams was an American antiques dealer and a historic preservationist based in Savannah, Georgia. He played an active role in the preservation of the Savannah Historic District for over 35 years, but he was arrested on May the 2nd, 1981, the alleged murder of 21-year-old Danny Hansford, with whom he'd been having a homosexual relationship at Mercer House. After the subsequent four trials, a record in the state of Georgia, Williams was finally acquitted by a jury in Augusta in May 1989, eight years after his arrest. Williams died in 1990 of heart failure, though AIDS is also suspected. He is the center of the story, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil novel, and later, Clint Eastwood movie. Well, there you go. What a brilliant story that was. Uh, I don't know so much about the ending and the fact that this guy may or may not have murdered someone. I guess he was acquitted, so we have to go with that, don't we really? But nonetheless, uh, let's move on from that. An original story that is just brilliant. And again, I just don't really get why the production company wouldn't ever pay people right off the bat as every other production company i presume did and does right now as well like your home is being used in the shop without your permission obviously you're then going to do whatever you want it's within your right to kick up a fuss if you want to like it is literally your home and you're getting no compensation for it and also they're saying you can't park your car in your driveway who's gonna tell me to do that not not nobody Trust me, and I don't even drive, so make it that what you will. Our next story comes from r slash nuclear revenge. So things are hotting up a bit. All army service records lost. This happened a few years back. My dad found out he was super allergic to some kind of shrub in central Texas, Fort Hood, after he was transferred there. As a result, he was restricted to office work and prohibited by army doctors from outdoor duties. His West Point grad commanding officer was a hyper warrior kind of dude who detested soldiers who didn't want to train 24-7. Unfortunately, he thought my dad was milking his allergies in order to avoid being a real soldier. My dad was also married and my mum was pregnant with my older sister, a situation that infuriated the captain because hashtag reasons. The CO never, ever passed an opportunity to humiliate my dad by questioning his manhood doubting his commitment to protecting the constitution, disparaging his duties, etc. The CO would call him out in front of the company or debase him in front of higher HQ staff. He'd call the house at 6am on Sunday and order dad in for BS reasons, anything to annoy him. In short, he made his life a living hell. For what it's worth, the first sergeant loved my dad's work performance and said so privately. When my dad got orders to leave active duty, which enraged the CO, he found out that the CO received orders for an assignment that was a notch needed to guarantee promotions as well as other plum jobs. 
dad decided to screw with his official records before leaving as company clerk he had full access to unit personnel files orders and more which meant he also had keys to the building as well This was during the pre-digital pre-computer era the night before my dad was to get out He took all of the captain's personnel folders and mailed them separately and anonymously to various posts around the globe Knowing full well that it would take weeks to deliver them to geographically unrelated unit mailrooms around the world That may or may not open the packages in order to return them It just so happened that the unit was in the field for a two-week exercise on the day my dad left Which meant a skeleton crew would man the phones and mow lawns until they returned from the field No one was the wiser for weeks One of my dad's old poker playing sergeant buds wrote a few months later telling him that the captain went ballistic that the missing files seriously damaged the captain's career prospects since some of the files were lost in the system Therefore the coveted assignment orders were cancelled and the entire personnel record had to be reconstructed manually by the department of the army My dad said it was a teaching moment for the cruel jerk that you should never screw with your unit clerk Because even chairborne rangers know how to seriously wound enemies foreign and domestic We've said it once we've said it a thousand times on my channel Do not mess and do not annoy any of your colleagues No matter where they are in the hierarchical structure of whatever organization you are employed by Just don't mess with them because first of all you have no idea who they may become one day They may just be the ceo. They may just lead the world who knows and also if they are going to leave at any point and you have done things like this to them then they are at their most dangerous at that stage they're going they have no qualms about whatever they're going to leave their business or army behind with so they might just go off the rails like your dad did and potentially ruin any of your career prospects as happened here great stuff completely deserved and now for our final revenge story of the episode this one from r slash petty revenge but with over thirty-four thousand upvotes my ex cheated so i refunded a gift and now she's livid My ex broke up with me just about a year into us dating in hindsight She was awful, but I was blind to it all She broke up with me over the phone which seemed a little informal from all the time we spent together Fast forward a week after that several individuals connected to her but not each other Confirmed she was in fact seeing another man I didn't confront her about it because I realized that things just don't work out sometimes It was just the way she went about it that irked me i'm old enough late 30s to accept that people are just jerks But I also felt like she was getting away with something without feeling even a bit of remorse The breakup was the only contact no calls or texts occurred after that over a year ago I remember for christmas that I bought her well us a really expensive couples massage spa package Because she would always say how she wanted to do something like that I'd purchased some big package from a local place that cost roughly six hundred dollars i obviously didn't have the certificate with me i decided then to go to the spa and make up a story of how i lost that certificate i showed them the receipts always keep those and showed him my credit card charge they wound up reissuing me a gift card and cancelling the other that was over a year ago and frankly i forgot about it today i get a call from her that's the first contact in a year since breaking up and she's screaming at me over the phone that the gift certificate is no good and the spa place accused her of stealing and what a pos i was for reporting it to be such i called the guy he said he told her it was reported stolen i just politely explained that i didn't think she was deserving of it and if she really wanted to she could just have mark the dude she was banging pay for a new one I then hung up. I'm gonna make an appointment to use that card with my new girlfriend soon. Mission accomplished. Call me a race traitor in a PM on Reddit. Let's destroy your life. 
A few years ago on a different reddit account I mentioned that I was in an interracial relationship A redditor reached out to me and told me I was a race traitor and unfaithful to my race I was like, um, what the frick bro? I looked at his accounts It was six years old, which told me his username was likely something he used a lot So I started googling his username at gmail, username at yahoo, etc, etc And I found a match with Hotmail A guy by the name of, let's say, Jeff Was selling some NFL game tickets and had posted his email Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it's the same person However, in the post he mentioned a city in America And that he was a fan of a particular football team I went through the Reddit user post history He posted quite a bit in the respective city subreddit. He mentioned going to NFL games and in another post, he also said he was born in Canada. So through the ad for the NFL ticket, I figured out his real name. I found his biography on his employer's website. He was a senior level manager, so they had a bio for him. In that bio, they mentioned he was born in Canada, was a fan of said NFL team and loved living in the city. I also found his LinkedIn page during this time. So I sent him a connect request on LinkedIn, which he accepted. I figured he would because he had over 500 connections. So here is what we know. His username matches his email handle. He likes the NFL team. He lives in said city that he posts in said city subreddit and he was born in Canada. I then found his Facebook page. His Facebook page was public and he posted what I would describe as semi-racist material. Also, his Reddit page was significantly more racist. Based on the numerous correcting factors, I determined this was the same person. So I create a report. I included screenshots and links and summarized my findings in that report. Now, based on this person's position in his company, he likely had a significant role in deciding who this company employs. Also, his company clearly stated they were an equal opportunity employer. So I called their HR department. I found the number, I called them, and I asked them, would you be concerned if a senior level manager in your organization was a proud racist and degraded your equal opportunity employment? policies they were concerned so i told them that i'd done an investigation into one of their senior level managers and described that he was racist and had put together all my evidence and findings in a report and could email it over to them i emailed them the reports a few weeks later i called to get an update and i was told they appreciated my reports however they would have to comment on the status of their decision and make public statements in regard Basically, thanks for letting us know, but we're not going to tell you anything. That's fine. So I waited another month and I kept checking his LinkedIn page. Then one day I saw a LinkedIn post from him in which he said he is looking for a new opportunity and if anyone had any positions open. So I messaged him on Reddit and I told him, hey bro, heard you got fired. Just want you to know that I am the reason why. He threatened to find out who I was, hunt me down, R word my spouse and strangle me to death. So I reported him to reddit admins who promptly permabanned him now He really should have learned his lesson because guess what? He didn't connect the dots. He didn't know I could see all his linked inactivity. He didn't know who I was He simply acted in rage So I put his newest message into my folder and added it to the reports because you see I can be an incredibly vindictive mother effer I checked his linkedin once a week good news. He got another job Bad news, their HR department was also quite easy to get a hold of and discuss their new hires online racist threatening behavior. However, let's just say I had a lovely conversation with this HR representative. She was a woman and based on how she sounded and her name, I suspect she was a woman of color. So yeah. I'm not sure what happened after this because a few weeks later, his internet history was cleaned up and his LinkedIn page was deleted. However, this company listed their senior management, which was what his position was, and I never saw his name listed. What I suspect happened 
happened is after his hr viewed my evidence they terminated his employment with them i would have totally gone after him a third time but he got smart the second time around hey by the way jeff if you see this post i'd love for you to send me a new message i really enjoyed the little game i played with you i also question how you handled getting fired from two jobs back to back on your resume and in future job interviews what a start to the episode nothing i like more than seeing a racist get absolutely decimated completely justified and fantastic karma what i just don't get personally is people that do not understand that anything that you ever put on the internet even if it's not currently on there even if you deleted it a long time ago is still somewhere in the archives in the files if people want to find out that information they can find it pretty easily as op has showed like for me back in school i got in a bit of trouble for stuff that i said online and from that point onwards i have known that every single thing that i say online i have to be comfortable repeating in real life to anyone it's as simple as that and clearly if you're a filthy racist like this then um you're not going to be comfortable saying it to people are you so very good job op disgraceful person this guy is young firefighter disrespects a lieutenant so i shame him and get him to quit i'm not sure if this is pro or not but i got revenge on a douchebag i used to volunteer firefight with this was in the early mid 2000s i decided to join the local fire department as a volunteer firefighter i did it for about five years and it was great training consisted of three months of fire training two nights a week and all day saturday and then you would go to emt training another three months of training i was there for about a year when i was asked to help train some new recruits one of the lieutenants amy was a short middle-aged woman who was so full of fire she could make a grown man cry one of those people who commands both fear and respect wherever she went honestly a great lieutenant and great person when she wasn't being a drill sergeant she was extremely kind and generous she would often bake people cakes and treats and deliver them to the various stations in our departments however in this new academy class that i was asked to help with there was a cocky kid that we will call aaron aaron talked big during the training and acted like he was the all-american hero like he was going to be the lead badass in backdraft 2 he performed moderately well in training but far from the top of the class he gets assigned to amy's station which is a pretty quiet station in the department a few months after he starts amy swings by my station one night to say hi she brings us the mother load cake from claim jumper a massive six layer cake she explained that she had treated her crew to a night out at claim jumper which must have cost a lot of money i think she took about eight people and bought a whole cake to top it all off they'd eaten the first two layers so she gave us the remaining four we thanked her profusely and she left back then the big social media platform was myspace and i decided to look up some of the people in the department to make friends I came across Aaron's page and I noticed some photos of him and the rest of his crew at Claim Jumper with Amy. However, when I read the comments, he bragged about how he'd purposefully ordered the most expensive dinner, appetizers, and drinks since Amy was buying. He bragged about how he was going to take advantage of her stupidity. This alone made me angry because she was doing this super nice and generous thing. What an ungrateful, selfish idiot. Then I read the rest of his profile. He had videos and memes on his page glorifying himself as a badass firefighter, bragging about running into burning buildings and how he was such a hero. He was flirting with girls, blatantly trying to impress them with how brave he was. Bear in mind, he just graduated from the academy three months prior and hadn't even gone to EMT school. He'd never been to a house fire and all he did was basically carry gear for the other fully qualified firefighters. It was too much for me to tolerate. So here's the revenge. I printed off copies of his MySpace page, including his comments about Amy and toxic bragging. I made multiple copies and took them to every station in the departments. We all had pages, God, I'm old, and a small keyboard at each station to send out text messages. I made an anonymous all-staff page to everyone in the department. I had to keep it brief since I couldn't fit a ton of characters in, but I sent out his MySpace info and told everyone about how he treated Amy. Within one hour, Aaron had cleared out his MySpace page of all posts 
photos, etc. A couple of days later, he deleted his accounts. It's a good thing I made so many copies. Immediately after this happened, he stopped coming to volunteer. And a few weeks later, I heard that he had quit. I later talked to Amy and admitted I was the one who sent the page. I told her I hated how he treated her and she thanked me. She seemed really sad and hurt by what he'd done. But being the tough short lady that she was, she quickly got back into being an actual badass firefighter. She later started dating and married a fire chief that also helped at the academy. I've lost touch with her, but I hope she did well. She seemed pretty happy the last time I saw her. You know, I absolutely love this revenge here for one very simple reason. In theory, the thing that Aaron did to Amy wasn't necessarily that bad, right? Like it wasn't damaging. It wasn't physical. It was pretty non-eventful all in, just offensive. But it was still a horrible thing to do. And the fact that you went out there and sought some justice and got it for Amy is very kind because you could have easily been like, okay, not a nice comment, but uh, not that bad. But no, it was very disrespectful. If someone is saying that about another colleague, then I don't know what else they could do. And to me, Aaron seems like the sort of person that you just wouldn't want to work with. So fair play to you for doing what you did. Okay, now moving on to our next revenge story. A little treat for you guys who have watched and listened this far. This is from Nuclear Revenge. Things are hotting up. Steal the money I need to live. You can spend it on damages. This will be brief and not include identifying info. You can verify it if you need. I have most interactions on video. I moved out almost a year ago. And before I did, my mother stole $750 from me. That money took me over six months to save. That was almost everything I saved to leave and support myself because I was cutting all contacts and planned to be on my own. My parents are extremely abusive in every sense of the word. My mum knew this and wanted to maliciously sabotage me in any way she could. I say maliciously because she did not want the best for me. She wanted me to continue to be dependent on her so she could abuse me. Both her and my father took pleasure in abusing me in every way. Fast forward to a day before I moved out. I cut the wires to my TV and all lights in the room. I also poured rotten juice into the carpet, two two by three foot areas, and into the dressers and let that sit. I cut the cable box as well. I also left some fish in the vent in my room. When I moved out, I said nothing, left no forwarding address and cut all contacts. My thoughts were, you can use the $750 you stole from me to fix it. My parents are by no means poor. My mother inherited over a million from her mother and my father inherited over half a million from his mother. They're extremely well off. I also paid rent to them $700 a month. They didn't need the money they stole from me. It was a spiteful, malicious act. Now, I don't care how much money you have or how much money you've saved, but if you've been saving for six months straight to enable yourself to do something that's gonna progress your life and that gets taken away by somebody, it doesn't matter who they are. That is a truly awful thing to do. I mean, to be fair, it doesn't even matter if your parents are poor or not. Yes, it makes it a little bit worse the fact that they're millionaires, but your wealth shouldn't determine whether or not you should be allowed to steal money from your own child. It's just ridiculous. I don't know why they're doing this. Well, actually, no, I do. They're just abusive people and horrible parents. So uh, if you can get out of there as quickly as you can, despite the setback, please do. I, I don't know why I'm saying this. I know you're going to try everything. You've already tried a lot. Get out of there, my friend, and good luck to you. Fire me from my job with no notice. I'll ruin your entire company. So at the start of December, I was let go from my job because they didn't have the time to train me for the job role. I needed to take out a load to survive as it took me three weeks to find something new. I was hired for a customer services administrator role, and as I'd never done that type of work, I was told I'd be given full training on job. The girls in the office never bothered, and I simply learned the job myself. I was told my performance was more than they expected, but suddenly, I was called into the office at 8.30am when I arrived and told they were really sorry, but they didn't have the time to train me, so I'd be let go immediately with no warning or notice. I was completely shocked by this. To add, my contract stated that I was to be given 28 days notice of termination. 
company I worked for uses government grants as a form of payments. So they would regularly claim they've done certain things they haven't to make more profit from the government, such as forging signatures and lying about what work they've done to gain more funding. Basically, we get funding from the government for providing services to lower income customers. That's all I can say. I was involved in a different department, but shared an office with the department responsible for lying about profits. It's a small company and the director would constantly hassle them to forge signatures as we can get the jobs through quicker. And if we had an order, he would go to prison for what was being done. So when I got laid off, not by a manager, but someone who worked at the same level in my department, I was absolutely livid that they dragged me a 60 to 80 minute drive for me to leave two minutes later. I got home and immediately called the fraud whistleblower helpline. Nothing came of this until a week later when they wanted more details. The thing is, I'm very good at being silent and taking in my surroundings. I was able to tell them which accounts had been forged and lied about. I also had considerable email evidence of what had been going on. So long story short, the majority have lost their jobs, including the people who couldn't be bothered to train me and went running to the director to fire me, including the director who is now being investigated for fraud and facing time in prison and a massive fine. Always live by the mantra, frick about and find out. Yeah, you've just been absolutely used here. I'm sorry. The fact that you're already very good at your job, you've trained yourself. The girls have even said, oh, you know what? We're very surprised. You've done really well. You're doing the job excellently. But also, no, we haven't officially trained you. And now we don't want to give you a lot of money. So yeah, you're done. That is so disrespectful. And yeah, as I said, they are completely using you, exploiting you. And it's not legal. When you hear more and more about the company, as I read more and more of the story, it doesn't really surprise me that the employees act this way. I mean, the fact that there's just fraud all over the gaff is a massive red flag, of course. And again, as I've said with all these stories, fair play to UOP for actually doing something about it. It's one thing noticing these things and saying, okay, I'm not going to stick around in this company because they are fraudulent. They treat employees badly. You know, they do terrible things. But it's another actually fixing the problem and helping out other employees and future employees as well. Because who knows, down the line, if this company is still running and who knows, is getting more and more profitable and employing more people that just don't know about the stuff that's really going on, then they could be in for a terrible time. But the fact that you've done this and stopped all this going on, not just for yourself, but for potential future employees is amazing. So fair play to you once again. This is about a buddy of mine, the most decent guy you could ever be lucky enough to call a friend and how he got nuclear revenge on his cheating ex-fiance who dumped him for his best friend, all the while still being the most upstanding, greatest guy you can imagine. I've pieced this story together from things my friend and his wife have told me over the decade that we've been friends. There's not enough room to tell you how great this guy is, but believe me, he's been there for me like a rock when things were darkest. So then, quickly, the cast of characters. Let's call my friend Buddy, the ex-fiancé Lisa, and the hapless best friend Richard, aka you-know-what. As you listen to this, you have to always remember that Buddy is literally the greatest guy on the planet. Richard is, well, kind of a you-know-what. Annoying as heck, but my buddy says he always means well and his heart is in the right place. Lisa is as big of a cheating, lying, self-centered narcissist as ever walked the face of the earth. Other people are Ray, another high school friend of Buddy and Richard, Jen, Buddy's wife, and Bob and Linda, Richard's dad and mum. All the names are fake. So, the background. Our story begins when Buddy, Richard, and Lisa are all in middle school together at a typical suburban high school outside of Southern City. Football team, Friday night lights, etc. Three of them are all in marching band, inseparable friends. If you know band types, Buddy plays the French horn, Richard plays the tuba. I don't know what Lisa played, probably the flute because it's a cliche. Buddy and Lisa are boyfriend and girlfriend, and Richard is a happy third wheel. As they get older, Buddy and Lisa explore the physical side of their relationship, like normal high school kids do, while Richard is happy to be a player. He's decent looking, so he's got no problem getting action, and also occasionally makes use of the professional women in their town. This will be important later. 
Buddy and Lisa, typical good students, go on to the prestigious public university in the southern city. Richard drops out of high school, but a self-taught programmer, he winds up with a decent career in tech. Buddy graduates college early with honors and proposes to Lisa at his graduation dinner with a small diamond because he's put himself through school and that's all he can afford. She accepts. Buddy gets a job at a fancy consulting firm in the prestigious city. Lisa finishes college back home in Southern City. It comes time for Lisa to graduate and Buddy helps his fiance also get a job at the same fancy consulting firm. During her last spring break, she flies up to the prestigious city to visit Buddy and interview for her job and gets pregnant. She flies back home, tells Richard she's in trouble and he takes her to the abortion appointment. Neither of them tell Buddy ever. I heard about this from Buddy's wife who heard it from Richard one night when he was drunk. As far as I know, Buddy still doesn't know. Buddy, if you ever read this, sorry dude, I should have told you, but it wasn't my place. The betrayal. Lisa realizes when she doesn't want to tell Buddy about her abortion that she can't marry him, but she's not brave enough to break it off. Instead, she ghosts him and he finds out through the HR department of the fancy consulting firm that she's turned down her job offer and won't move to the prestigious city after all. Buddy calls Richard and Richard says, Dude, I'm sorry, but it's worse. Lisa and I are now a couple. You can punch me in the face the next time we get together. Somehow, Buddy and Richard decide that Lisa isn't worth destroying their friendship, so they stay best friends, going hunting together on Richard's family place in the country, etc. Lisa is not happy about this, but Richard tells her that if she makes him choose, he'll choose Buddy. The follow-up. Buddy takes a year or so to get over it and starts dating again. Pretty soon, he meets Jen and falls madly in love crazy in love and to make things better jen is just as crazy about him in less than six months they're engaged now the thing you have to understand is that lisa is drop dead gorgeous she's not tall enough to be a model just average high but she's got these giant blue eyes and super long eyelashes long shiny wavy dark brown hair an exquisite face and a terrific figure she's prettier than a movie star and being beautiful is really important to her now jen is pretty enough but regular and she really and truly doesn't give a frick richard travels to the prestigious city without lisa to meet buddy's fiance he and jen really get along jen gets along with everyone and reports back to lisa that buddy is really happy his fiance jen is awesome etc lisa gets jealous and pouty when she hears about jen's ivy league education but then richard makes a point of telling her that jen is nowhere near as hot as lisa so she'll stop sulking at least until she gets an invitation to the wedding. Lisa pitches a fit and refuses to go and tries to prevent Richard from going, but there's no way in heck he'll miss his best friend's wedding, so he goes to the stag. No big deal, it's a super small, low-key wedding. At the wedding, Richard reconnects with another high school friend of theirs, a guy named Ray, whose date to the wedding was actually someone else's wife. Ray has a thing for married women. This is important. Buddy and Jen go on living their best lives. At some point, Buddy gets an Ivy League MBA. His career takes off like gangbusters. They pop out a couple of kids. Jen quits her career to be a stay-at-home mom. They're rich as heck, still crazy in love, and blissfully happy. A couple of times a year, the guys get together and bring their wives along. At some point, Richard and Lisa get married. Buddy and Jen are not invited to the wedding, by the way. But the women get along okay. Jen gets along with everyone and Lisa is happy because she's thinner and prettier than Jen, especially after both women have been through pregnancy and childbirth. The years tick on. Then things get complicated. One day, this is around 2008, when Buddy, Jen and Richard are all playing World of Warcraft together, Richard gets them on TeamSpeak and tells a hell of a story. Richard and Lisa have continued to hang out with Ray, their high school friend who has a thing for married women. He's turned his eye on Lisa, who, even after three kids, is even hotter than she was in college. 
She's leaned heavily into the MILF role. Meanwhile, Richard has had enough of her nonsense. He's decided to divorce her three times, but each time when he tells her, she cries and gets all pouty. They have one last time unprotected sex. She gets pregnant and bam, Richard and Lisa's three kids. Ray goes in hard with his practice seduction routine and Lisa cries to Richard that she just can't stand it. And can she please just have sex with Ray? They do. Richard watches goes in for sloppy seconds and lisa and richard's marriage enters its suburban swinger era wow richard gives jen and buddy every gory detail over the course of a two-hour conversation while they're all killing wolves on low-level alts in elwyn forest and lisa is upstairs with a bottle of wine it's obvious during their next visit that richard wants to join in sexy fun times with buddy and jen but they're not into that and after an awkward five minutes things go back to normal the kids all play together the women make small talk and buddy and richard hang out together doing the normal things that guys do richard tells buddy that the reason they're into swinging is that he gets off on watching lisa being degraded and lisa gets off on making richard feel like he isn't man enough for her this marriage is not happy but richard wants to stay married because lisa is hot as heck she's got a solid career and he's a mid-level tech guy with a ged who works from home while he takes care of three kids so he'll never be able to do better things get worse richard calls buddy to chat his marriage has gone to heck lisa has in her words met the love of her life she's moved on from ray and from the swinging scene and is now having an affair with a guy from the accounting department at her job She's staying out all night. She's ignoring the kids. Richard and Lisa take the kids on a swanky vacation to try and focus on their family. And she spends all her time crying because she misses her AP and she doesn't want to be there. She doesn't want a divorce because she knows she'll lose the kids. She's drunk all the time and she doesn't want to have to pay Richard child support. She wants him to let her live whatever life she wants while he does all the cooking and cleaning and childcare and still brings in 50% of the household money. Lisa will also not STFU about how she could have married Buddy and been like Jen, a stay-at-home mum in a giant 5,000 square foot house with six bedrooms and a pool. I should mention that Buddy has also had a Neville Longbottom style glow up and gone from a nerdy band kid to a silver haired, super confident, high level exec in a top tier consulting firm, whereas Richard is still the guy working from his basement in sweatpants, covered in Dorito crumbs. Yeah, he's been working on himself, but there's no way he can compete in Lisa's eyes. Although both Buddy and Jen tell me about Richard's great qualities. Lisa is jealous, hopping mad, and she blames Richard. Dude, trust me, I know she's bad news. Leave her, Buddy tells his friend. It's the last conversation they will ever have. Holy heck, this is where it gets terrible. Buddy gets a call at work one afternoon. It's Bob, Richard's dad. Richard got drunk, woke up Lisa at 3am, told her that he'd never loved her, that she'd never been enough of a woman for him, that he'd been visiting prostitutes during most of their marriage, and that he hoped she would go to hell. Then he blew his brains out in such a way that the splatter went all over her and all over the bed. When the ambulance got there, she was hysterical, sitting on the curb outside the house, screaming over and over again, kill me too, it's all my fault, it's all my fault. Later, Bob would call Buddy to tell him that Lisa specifically says that he is not welcome at the funeral. Bob and Linda, Richard's parents, step in to take care of the three little kids who did nothing wrong and do not deserve this, while Lisa does nothing but work and drink. The coup de grace. About a year later, Buddy flies to Southern City to put flowers on Richard's grave and visit with Richard's parents, Bob and Linda. Bob is still in shock, but he and Linda have taken Lisa in as a daughter. Lisa's mum is dead and she has no contact with her dad and stepmom to try and help her through this as much as they can. Why did Lisa say it was all her fault and why does she ban you from the funeral? Bob asked Buddy. 
What don't I know? What's the rest of the story? Why did Richard do it? He asks Here is the moment of ultimate revenge Buddy thinks for a minute and decides that it will help Bob and Linda to understand the tragedy that happened to their son If they know the full story So he tells them everything bob and linda have continued to do everything for the three kids and they continue to treat lisa well because that is best for their children but the clock is ticking lisa's remarried now when the kids are old enough bob and linda will tell them the whole story the youngest kid will be 18 soon buddy is still grieving over his friend so here is a little summary what did buddy do to get revenge on his cheating ex-fiance one stayed friends with the guy who stole her letting her know how important she was to him versus the friendship two moved on and married someone smarter nicer and less pretty letting her know how important her best quality only good thing about her was to him three had a heck of a successful career causing her much jealous anguish Four, had a massive glow up between 30 and 40, causing her much jealous anguish. Five, had a terrific marriage, causing her much jealous anguish and also letting her know that the problem in their relationship was not him. And six, respected her boundaries when she uninvited him to his best friend's funeral, causing the best friend's dad to ask the fateful question that, in my opinion, takes this over from karma to nuclear proof that living well is indeed the best revenge it sucks about richard though buddy says he was the kind of guy who would come to your house when all hell broke loose clean your fridge and make a five-star dinner with whatever he could find nuclear vengeance wasn't worth the cost i wish i'd known him and there we go that concludes what is without a doubt one of the best revenge stories that i've ever read on reddit hands down i really loved every second of that because personally it answers a question that i've had whilst reading these stories on revenge subreddits for pretty much the entire time that i've been making these episodes you know when you're younger and your parents your teachers you know adults a lot of them anyway always say to you just because someone's done something bad to you it doesn't mean you should do something bad back to them well over the course of reading what probably thousands of revenge stories at this point it doesn't seem like that's always been the case and a lot of the time the revenge stories that i read where something bad happens to the person that did something bad is very justified yet always in the back of my mind i've had the question what about those lessons that we were taught as a child to not go and seek for revenge when you've had something bad happen to you because that's not the best way of doing things but i've never seen a story that's actually shown that until now and there we go does this story on its own destroy every other revenge tale that i've ever read because this revenge does seem the most hard-hitting despite buddy just being completely nice and honest the whole time and not doing traditional revenge as we've come to know it over the years on this sub if that makes sense it's one where you have to get in the comments guys i'm not sure this is the first story i've ever seen where the response has just been kindness and you know just honesty and living a better life for yourself and saying you know i'm going to leave this life behind me and that's going to be my revenge rather than actually doing something that is seen as you know vengeful it's very interesting and i'd love to hear your thoughts now moving on to our next nuclear revenge story you're gonna out me as gay to everyone prepare to have your entire future go up in flames this was almost seven years ago I grew up in a small town from hit country always knew i was gay everyone else was homophobic was planning on staying in the closet till i move out etc you know the song seven years ago a certain senator from vermont announced his candidacy for president of the united states and me being the edgy high school senior who couldn't keep his mouth shut i went all in on the online activism mostly on reddit r slash sander for president but most importantly on twitter where i had a fan account with roughly 10k followers that i wouldn't shut up about 
This didn't go over well with everyone, but people knew my politics and I was just a terminally online 17 year old high schooler. So nobody took it seriously. I guess my parents got a few comments at church, but that was about it. Even at school, I lacked self-awareness and wouldn't shut up about the democratic primaries. I wasn't antisocial or anything, but most of the people I hung out with there were dorkier than me and at least as unself-aware. Here is one thing I didn't account for. If you harass your entire rural hick town to follow your Twitter account, maybe don't use that account to like gay prawn. These were likes from half a year prior, so you had to scroll a while to find them. But a guy from one of my classes, let's call him Alex, went through that trouble and sent screenshots to practically everyone at school, plus my parents. This wasn't easy for me, but the landing was softer than I expected. My parents took a week or so to adjust, but were eventually fine with it. Other adults in town avoided me, but that wasn't much of a change. And people at school picked on me for a while, but it dwindled down fast. I still was livid with what Alex did, and I wasn't letting it slide. Besides, it wasn't entirely harmless either. My parents were willing to live with it, but were still homophobic and outwardly so. And either way, who wants to have their prawn history shown to their parents? Alex was a top-of-the-class straight-A student with Ivy League aspirations, and definitely Ivy League qualifications. Plus, he could go the legacy route through his dad. His future was also fully dependent on his parents' money. I needed to hit these two aspects of Alex's life and turn them into smoke. Alex's parents were kind of the movie cliche of small town rich folk, old money, dad is a lawyer, good standing with the community and the church, conservative, involved in local and state politics, etc. Alex was a spoiled rich kid. Nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but it comes with its fair share of rebellious dumb things you do as a spoiled rich kid. So here is how I use his past to destroy his future. Alex dealt drugs for a month when he was 15. Again, he was a well-put-together valedictorian, so totally out of place, but he just wanted something to do on the edge, I suppose. I knew this because we bought our weed from him through a friend one time. He still had the conversations and was more than happy to oblige by handing me the screenshots, which I sent to his parents. They obviously accused me of fabricating them out of revenge, so I asked my friend to show them the conversation firsthand next Sunday after sermon, which he did. A year before outing me, he impregnated a girl who ended up getting an abortion that he paid for with the quid pro quo that she wouldn't say who the father is. It was already too late for her since her parents knew she was pregnant, so she didn't mind taking the entire fall herself. I knew that girl pretty well. We weren't friends, but we were close politically and would have the occasional discussion. She was livid with Alex for outing me and decided, after I not so subtly suggested it, to do a call-out post on the town's Facebook group with screenshots of their conversations. And finally, Alex had an alt-right trolling account that he used to harass black people. I'm talking hard R, N-words, monkey jokes, IQ graphs and the like. Multiple people, mostly the one black kid who went to the school, reported him, but it was practically impossible to prove that he was behind the account until I realized that he sometimes logged into it on the school's computers and I gave that as a tip to the principal. I'm not sure what the IT guy technically did, but he caught him red-handed and he ended up getting a week suspension and having to apologize in front of the whole school. So, Alex went from model son to junkie baby-murdering Nazi overnight. His parents decided to kick him out without a penny after graduation. He still got into an Ivy League school, but without his parents' support, he had to juggle school and a part-time job, and he dropped out a year in. He's now apparently a divorced absentee father who's involved with two multi-level marketing schemes at once. From a valedictorian who was destined to become a DC lawyer 
to that. And there we have it. Perhaps a little bit more of a typical revenge story right there. I've got to say though, how dumb is this kid, Alex? But like if you're going to out someone for their online behavior, you better make sure that your online footprint is as clean as it can possibly be. Because if you have even an inclination that this person is going to come back and try and find some dirt on you online, you have to have checked that, surely? Like That is just a prerequisite for doing what you did. And the fact that you didn't just have some bad stuff online, but some truly awful racist stuff is so embarrassing like yeah it's obviously bad that he's got an alt-right trolling account that's racist don't get me wrong um but the worst thing if i can joke about this which i probably shouldn't is that he's dumb enough to not realize that, that could get found out and then on top of that we take it offline and he's got some terrible things from his physical past that he's done as well so many skeletons in young alex's closet why would you ever Put yourself in a position to be exposed like you were. So unlike the first revenge, we didn't really have that innocence in the second. But again, I love these sort of revenge stories where it's completely self-inflicted. Alex has brought this entirely on himself and you're only doing the exact same thing that he's done to you. It's very, very fair. If anything, it's a great thing that you did this, right? Because ultimately, it's very important that people realize who this person really is. I mean, the abortion stuff perhaps isn't as important, but it is weird that he would then out you even knowing that. But the dealing of drugs and the fact that he had a racist online account is so mental. And it's very good that you've now told everyone the real truth about this guy. Leave me for dead. I'll destroy your fraternity. After high school ended, I was in a pretty bad place mentally. So I decided to make some extremely unwise decisions during my first year of college. I was basically always on something in order to keep what I later realized was severe depression at bay. For a variety of misplaced reasons, I also decided to join a fraternity. It was a convenient way to keep getting the things I thought I needed at the time, but mostly I just craved human connection in a way that I thought being a brother would bring. Well, I didn't see it for a while, but I was wrong. The fraternity had a house on campus that was allocated to them, but it might as well have been off campus because of how crazy the parties were. Campus police would rarely pass by, let alone come in, no matter how much noise was being made. Still, that made it the perfect place for me. I could let loose and escape the sadness that followed me around during the day without being bothered, and the people there seemed to like me well enough that they at least tolerated my being around so often. At first, it was just official parties on the weekends, and then every weekend, Thursday nights, Wednesday nights, until at one point I was spending hours drinking there every night of the week to hide from myself Before I knew it my first semester was over and the shallow friendships I'd made through the bonds of getting ridiculously screwed up had started to pay off or so I thought They told me they'd be extending an offer to be a pledge next semester Now for those that don't know pledging is a process that lasts for this particular chapter of this fraternity one semester and it's something that you have to go through to officially become a brother member of a fraternity. I was ecstatic. My second semester rolls around and I'm given the invitation in traditional, stupid, ritualistic fraternity fashion. Once again, I was ecstatic. The thought that I was actually wanted and valued by these people who I thought had it all figured out felt like it would be the highlight of my year. I never really fit in with most members of the fraternity because other than excess consumption of drugs and alcohol, we didn't really have much in common. But I started to look up to these guys. While most of my time there passed me by in a haze of my own creation, the moments that I remembered made them seem like kind, cool, and genuine people. Although most of my friendships during that year were with the people from this particular fraternity, I'd made some friends in my own dorm hall as well. One night after pre-gaming in someone's dorm, I was happy for any excuse to start drinking at 3pm, a couple of girls came up to me. They asked why I was pledging at that particular frat, given its reputation. Why someone as nice as me would want to be around people like that. 
I asked what they were talking about and they told me that particular frat house has a reputation as a place where girls shouldn't get too drunk. I'm trying to be as non-graphic as possible here. I told them that must just be a rumor that started because of guys who already graduated because there was no way any of the brothers I knew would ever do something like that. I second guessed my sense of belonging for the first time that night, but I was too starved for human connection to seriously consider that I might not be making the best choice. Still, a small crack had formed in the facade I'd built around these people. Another night, I overheard a couple of the brothers talking when I woke up to use the bathroom, talking about how they desperately needed members to keep the house and how it was a shame that they had to let me become a brother at the end of the semester because they'd normally never let someone like me in. Fine, I thought, that's how these three feel, but most of the others like me and actually want me here. Wrong. But my life was in pieces before I got to college and I was so desperate for friends and a sense of belonging that I was willing to rationalize anything to keep the lie going. One night, while doing a traditional, stupid, ritualistic fraternity event, read, consuming copious amounts of alcohol to the point serious risk for brothers and pledges only, I did what they expected of me and well, consume copious amounts of alcohol to the point of serious risk. For anonymity's sake, I won't describe the event for privacy's sake, but I was in and out of blacking out for a while until a certain point when I stopped remembering anything. Over the years though, some things have come back to me as I've tried to process this experience. I have flashes of being turned over and someone holding my head so I throw up in a trash can and not myself or the chair I was on. There's a slideshow of me full walking down half the stairs. One of the last things I remember is asking to stay the night in one of the brothers' rooms because I knew, somehow, that I was ridiculously drunk and I didn't want to get caught when going back to mine. He said no. He was my closest friend there. It should have been clear to anyone around that I wasn't safe, but these guys were still giving me trashy light beer instead of water because it's basically the same thing. I'll never get that line or the laughter that followed out of my head. Instead of getting me help or even just letting me stay there, one of the brothers just took me back to my dorm. Luckily for me, an RA saw me being brought in, essentially over his shoulder, and felt like I was in danger, so she called for help. Even after all of these years, the last thing I remember from that night is answering a knock at the door of my dorm. When I woke up in the hospital the next morning, I was told that I could have died. They described how I acted, and it was clear to me after just hearing about it that I was in danger. My BAC, blood alcohol concentration, was at 0.37, and there was somehow still more in my stomach that I hadn't thrown up before they pumped it. For reference, alcohol poisoning can cause death and generally shows up around 0.3, while 0.4 is potentially fatal on its own because your heart and lungs can just stop working. My RA almost certainly saved my life. When I was sitting in that hospital bed, I cried. Not because I might have died, but because I felt like my life that I was just getting back had fallen apart again. I felt broken, betrayed, and profoundly sad that the people I trusted didn't care enough about me to try and keep me alive. When I got back to campus, I had to meet with a disciplinary officer because of underage drinking, and he questioned where I got the alcohol, who I was with, etc. But apart from that, I just followed my usual routine that I was accustomed to. It was the weekend, so I went down to the frat house. I still don't know why, really. I think I was just numb and going through the motions, or maybe I wanted a sense of normalcy. When I got there, all the feelings of sadness turned to anger. As I told them what happened, the people that I half-heartedly expected to be happy to see me were more concerned about what I might have said to the disciplinary officer than the fact that I was alive. They were wrong to do that, for the record, because I covered their butts completely, 
but I was livid. These people were supposed to be my brothers. How dare they leave me for dead? How dare they feign concern for me when all they really want is to protect themselves? I made an excuse that I just wanted to update them but was tired and still recovering so that I could go back to my dorm. I stood in anger and resentment for hours. I thought about all the things I'd experienced, all the warning signs, and I made a plan. First, I set up a new email account and got the faculty email for the head of the disciplinary committee. Calling him committee head now, full title is annoying to type out every time. A guy who apparently really hated the presence of fraternities on campus housing. I told him I was a student who had information about crimes committed by the members of this particular fraternity and wanted them gone not just from the house, but from the school. I also talked to one of the girls who took me aside in my dorm, one I felt I could trust, and asked if she or anyone she knew had experiences, names, anything. Now, she wasn't willing to step forward personally, but she knew someone who was and helped me get in touch. Three days later, I met with the committee head at 4 a.m. in someone else's office. I didn't want to be seen because I didn't want anyone to know what was going on or have any heads up. I asked him what he needed to take their house and he told me. He amended the report I gave to the original disciplinary officer to include two accidental mentions of a particular relatively uncommon alcohol. One this fraternity always uses for their traditional, stupid, ritualistic, fraternity-only drinking events. For what it's worth, the alcohol was actually present, so it wasn't exactly a lie. Apparently, just that much was enough for an investigation and wouldn't need me to be involved any more than I already was, which was something I insisted on. The investigation merely being opened was also enough that one anonymous tip-off, say, where certain quantities of certain drugs were likely to be hidden within the frat house, was also enough for campus police to come knocking with real police in tow to tear the place apart if enough was found the first time. Remember, the house is owned by the school, so as long as the school gives the police permission to search and they have enough reason to, they are good to go. I also got him in contact with the brave girl who was willing to come forward with her story. I don't know if she ever got real justice, but I do know that one member of the frat suddenly dropped out between the first time I met with the committee head and when the police came. I hope she did. I made myself scarce around the frat house for a month or so with the excuse that I needed to stop drinking. I didn't stop, at least at that point, but I needed some reason for my distance. Even though I wasn't around as often as I once was, I did spend enough time there to put various amounts of Coke, Xanax, MDMA, Ket, and LSD in places that people wouldn't look until the time was right. I've never been a rich guy, so it wasn't much, but pretty much every other room had enough for a minor possession charge thanks to my generosity. When the house eventually got flipped and the drugs were found, I dropped out, because despite my best attempts to hide it, at that point, most of the brothers were keeping me at arm's length and looking at me with suspicion. It was near the end of the semester anyway, and I'd gone from doing fairly well in my first semester to failing most of my classes in the second, so I thought it was probably for the best. However, I still got to see some of them get dragged out of the house in handcuffs. It was worth it. When it was all said and done, the frat house was essentially raided twice. At least three of the brothers dropped out while facing serious possession charges that I had nothing to do with, those with their drugs, and the rest of them had to separate, moving into other dorms or already scarce off-campus housing when the fraternity was banned by the school from ever having an official on-campus house for the next decade. Many of them also got minor possessions charges on their own, or thanks to me. This was almost a decade ago now, and I don't regret it at all, apart from the fact that I didn't do something sooner. Eventually, I got help for my mental health and no longer a 
abuse drugs or alcohol to cope with pain. I also transferred away from that trashy heck hole of a school with just the one good semester on my transcripts. Though I never did get around to finishing my degree because I spent years in a self-destructive spiral and all my money on therapy to pull myself out. I just hope what I did made it at least slightly less likely for others to be in danger one way or another and that all the people who deserved it got what was coming to them. The pessimist in me doubts it, but I like to think that they did. At the very least, I know that fraternity doesn't have any presence at my former school anymore. Seems like it's kind of hard to get new recruits when you lose the only thing you had going for you and your already trashy reputation gets worse. And there we go. That is the end of the first story of today's episode. And all I can say to that is, wow. First of all, I'm so sorry to how you were treated, OP. Secondly, the way you went about enacting your revenge was phenomenal. Fair play to you. Isn't that just disgusting, though? Your brothers, I say in inverted commas, you guys can't see me, no face cam, but I'm doing in-air quote commas right now, didn't even care about you potentially dying, well, almost dying, very lucky that you didn't, but no, they actually only cared about their reputation. Oh, are we going to get in trouble? No? Well, that's good news. I don't really care about anything else. That is disgraceful. Listen, you lot are going to have to let me know in the comments because I feel like in the UK, at least, fraternities and sororities do get a very bad rep. I'm not sure if that's because of, you know, just general pop culture, films, that sort of stuff. Or if these types of things do genuinely happen in fraternities and sororities, you don't really get to hear much about the good things about frats and sororities, I would say, in my country. So yeah, if you're from America, if you're from a country that has these sort of things, let me know. Are they seen as good? Have you ever been in one? What do you reckon? keep them or should they be gone forever guy behind me in traffic was blinding me with his high beams so i violated his retinas with the full force of an afternoon sun i was driving home from work and traffic was backed up pretty badly for a few miles it was stop and go when i get stuck in that i usually back about 75 feet off the car in front of me so that i can hold a pace and move at a slow but constant roll like the semi trucks do this way i'm not participating in the bumper to bumper move and break like the rest of the smooth brain drivers some dude in an acura crossover was behind me and i guess he was getting upset because i wasn't two feet from the car in front of me driving like a smooth brain so he gets up on my butt and starts beeping his horn at me lol i think to myself as i turn up my radio but then he starts flashing his brights at me which is where i get annoyed he's in one of those acuras that has the super bright led headlights my car is much lower than his so his low beams are already pretty bright in my mirrors bright enough that I don't want to look in them. The first time he flashes high beams, it puts spots in my vision for a moment. It genuinely hurt my eyes. After the first flash, he waits for about 10 seconds, beeps his horn, and then flashes me again. Now I'm getting angry. I'm thinking, where the freak do you want me to go? Do you really think that being two feet from the car in front of you will make traffic move faster? Then he flashes me a third time, but this time he held them on for about 15 seconds. Time for the gloves to come off. During those 15 seconds, as I'm looking away from my mirrors, I see my 14,000 lumen searchlight sitting in my passenger seats, at which point I'm immediately overcome by a wave of chaotic, lawful excitement. What is just set in motion cannot be stopped. I think to myself, oh buddy, you just opened the wrong can of worms. You're gonna learn today. 
I grabbed the flashlight and set it to its absolute max 14,000 lumen brightness setting. The flashlight has a sensor in it to automatically dim the light if facing down on a table, because otherwise the diodes would get so hot they would melt the lens. The 14,000 lumen setting is so intense, the 57 watt hour battery could only hold it for 180 seconds before the flashlight automatically notches down to a measly 9,500 lumens. During those three minutes, the light will burn through 15% of its battery power. For reference on just how bright this is, the literal freaking sun emits a luminosity of 11,000 lumens per square foot on a bright and clear day. So you're telling me this torch, this flashlight, is stronger than the sun. Wow. I turn around and aim it straight out the back of my rear window. My car is pretty noisy, so before I turn it on, I rev up my engine to make sure Captain Smoothbrain is eyes forward when I violate his retinas with the full force of an afternoon sun. I hit the power button and can only imagine the freight train of shock and pain that plowed over this man. It was so bright, his automatic headlights shut off because the car thought it was daytime. With the light on, I could see him clear as glass through his tinted windshield. He was covering his eyes and looking down, probably screaming. I watched him try and flip down his sun visor, but his hands couldn't find it. As I thought to myself, burn you mother effer, burn. I imagine my facial expression was similar to that of a six-year-old roasting insects with a magnifying glass on a bright summer day. After about five seconds of blinding light, I took mercy and shut it off. He proceeded to back way the heck off and move over to a different lane. Was this an unsafe thing for me to do? Absolutely. Was this illegal? Almost certainly. Was it warranted? Without question. Possibly the highlight of my year. So, drive safe and don't be an idiot to the car in front of you because they might just have the tools to teach you a lesson. Wow, what a wonderful way to end this episode. I've got to say, like, it's so good. It is so good. Couldn't you imagine in the dead of night, you know, literally the sun has gone down. There is no light. Torch being shone onto your car that is so bright that it turns off your flashlights, your headlights. Your car thinks it's day. I mean, that is ridiculous. That is how you know that this light was seriously bright. And yeah, you might be thinking that the title is a little bit silly, you know, violating his retinas with the full force of an afternoon sun. But no, that is literal. That is literally what OP has done here. Unbelievable. Forget nuclear revenge. This was nuclear fusion revenge, and I loved every single second of it, and I hope you guys did too. Boss missed out on 100 million US dollars for treating his employee poorly. I used to work at a consulting company in Asia owned by a baby boomer European guy. Let's call the company COG and the owner Richard. To give a brief background, Richard spent his entire career working in the hospitality industry for various hotel brands all over the world. At one point, he specialized in one niche area in the industry and set up a consulting firm to provide consultancy to his business connections. The company employees were majority expats. I spent my entire career working in the financial industry and I'm quite a specialist in the field of capital market fundraising. Richard approached me with a great plan to list one of his properties in North America in a stock market. At that time, it seemed to be a good project. He also offered me a management position in the company he set up to deal with the listing process and a good salary in comparison to the job that I had at the time. The agreement stated that if any party would like to terminate this agreement, they need to inform the other party three months in advance. Failure to do so will cost the party who initiated the termination a penalty fee equal to three months salary. This will be relevant later. Unfortunately, I joined the company at the worst possible time, the year end of 2019. Initially, things were all right. Richard spent only one to two days a week at the office and spent the rest of the week abroad to acquire new businesses. However, as everyone knows, a few months after that, the COVID pandemic hit the hospitality sectors globally. 
Richard lost all his business deals in the pipeline. His property in North America was also shut down. The only income stream for the company was payments from the existing contracts. Richard got stuck in the office for seven days a week with not much money in the bank account. This is when he showed his true characteristics. So firstly, despite the government's highly encouraged work from home policy, Richard was dissatisfied with the idea. As a boomer, he wanted to see his employees working all the time. He called anyone who chose to work from home lazy and cowardly. In addition, he would randomly call them several times a day on non-important issues, just to ensure everyone was at the desk all the time. Furthermore, he would assign lots of non-necessary tasks, remember all business deals were cancelled, to these people to do, so they would need to stay very late to finish the work. Secondly, he cut off 20-30% to salary for all employees, including himself. This seemed acceptable at the time given the economic conditions. However, this will come up later. And finally, he'd just be annoyed at anyone in the company who mentioned any news about the pandemic. He just wanted to pretend that nothing severe happened and that things would be back to normal soon. Due to the pandemic and the financial status of the company, my role significantly shifted from getting a company listed to selling our assets to whoever gives the right price. Thus, the company can survive. During these months, I had to work closely with the company CFO called Fatty. Fatty had a very impressive resume with a degree from an Ivy League university. However, for some reason, there was nothing inside that brain. He could talk about all the financial jargon all day long, but he couldn't understand even the basic concepts of those words. Fatty would make mistakes all the time and trouble other colleagues. For some odd reason, Fatty would receive only minor criticism from Richard. Conversely, if other employees made one out of the 10 mistakes that Fatty did, they would receive harsh criticism. We were approached by various buyers. One of them was one of the largest real estate developers in this country. Let's call it Mackie. We had a few meetings with senior execs from Mackie to present our North American properties. They seemed to be interested in investing $100 million in acquiring the property, but then they just disappeared. Later on, we were approached by a private equity firm. Let's call it Dummy. Rather than acquiring the property, Dummy made an offer for shares of COG. As a result, a series of due diligence occurred. I had to lead the deal from my side. During the process of document preparation, I found various histories about Richard and COG. Richard always claimed to his potential clients that his company had been involved in various projects worth billions of dollars in the past. It was partially true. However, his participation was very limited to less than 1% of those projects. There were a few projects that COG played a vital role in. However, those projects were relatively small. To make matters worse, 100% of them failed before completion. There were various companies that Richard claimed to have co-founded or was a part of the key management. However, there were no official records of that. And by digging into financial statements, I found out that he paid back all the money he saved from cutting employees' salaries into his personal account as a form of bonus. I felt horrible for working for such a phony. However, at that time, it was Q4 in 2020. It was way too difficult to get a new job in the middle of the pandemic. The last straw came when we were about to submit the financial model to Dummy to set the valuation. I developed a financial model which would calculate all the potential deals into the valuation. All I need was the input of pipeline data from Fatty. After I plugged in the data, Richard asked Fatty to help review it. Fatty complained to everyone that the model was wrong and there were so many mistakes. When I checked, all those mistakes that he mentioned came from those inputs he provided to me. Garbage in, garbage out. I informed Richard that it was not my mistake, but Fatty's. However, Richard criticized me for not being responsible for my own mistakes and said that even though it was Fatty's mistake, I was still responsible to verify it. Well, how on earth could I verify the correctness of the raw data? I wanted to quit so badly at this point. Remember the three-month notice period? This is where it became relevant. Throughout 2020, various employees quit. However, the term became a pain in the butt. 
First of all, it would be highly difficult for anyone to find potential employers who'd be willing to wait for three months until the notice period is served. Thus, employees had to either pay the penalty fees or put in their resignation in advance before starting to look for a job. For the locals, we could take the risk of staying at home with no job. However, the expats needed to choose to either take a risk in leaving the country or to pay the fees. Most chose to do the latter. The worst thing I experienced about this contract clause was when one of my colleagues, who was one of the first employees at this company, decided to quit because her grandmother was about to die in a few weeks. Therefore, she wanted to go back home as soon as possible and spend the remaining time with her grandmother. Yet, Richard insisted that she needed to pay the penalty fee. In every meeting, Richard would try his best to scare everyone by talking about those companies that went bankrupt and trying to remind us to be grateful for even having jobs. I held my grudge and waited patiently until February 2021. The pandemic became better and employers started hiring again. I got three offers within the second week of the month. Based on the situation, I knew that I would eventually get a job either in these three companies or somewhere else. Thus, I submitted my resignation, which would be effective in May. Richard was furious. He knew he couldn't lose me at this stage since I was the only one who could execute with dummy, but he was too arrogant to admit it. Instead, he gave me the worst counter-offer discussion anyone could have. He said that I was a coward for jumping away from the crisis, and I would be a failure all my life if I choose to walk away now. He tried to talk about all the deals that would be coming, and I would miss out on working on those projects. He said that I should ignore the higher salary that other companies might offer. The pandemic was harsh for everyone. I should stay to see the company's greatness. In the meantime, I could ask for money from my parents, or my wife's parents, Your own boss is telling you this, my word. Needless to say, the conversation did not change my mind even a bit. When all those efforts failed, he brought up the three-month notice period. He said that no company would be willing to wait three months and that I needed to pay a penalty fee to him if I quit. Unfortunately, this was when his own policy backfired. I intentionally did all the stupid mistakes that Fatty did. When he complained, I simply responded, it was his responsibility to verify the information that I submitted. I did my job very slowly. Thus, he basically had to pay me three months salary for the work I normally completed in a week. And whenever he complained, I told him that he could fire me at any time. In that case, he would need to pay me a three month salary as a penalty fee. For a person who always takes advantage of his employees, he probably wanted to scream at me. However, that was not the best part yet. By the end of April, HR from Mackie approached me. She said that she got my contact from a business card I gave to the senior executive several months ago. It turned out that the executives were very impressed with my skills. They wanted to hire a new vice president and viewed me as a high potential candidate. I took the offer and started working two weeks later. A few months later, Richard tried to use all his connections to reach Mackie's chairman to propose his North American property once again. The chairman assigned my team to review the property one more time. Last time, they were interested, but they didn't want to make an acquisition in the middle of the pandemic. But this time, they felt the timing might be right and would like to explore in more detail. My boss assigned me to look after the projects. Since I knew everything about the property, he let me decide whether we should move forward with the deal. To be honest, the property was fine and Richard had improved the property's performance very well since his acquisition. However, a year ago when we first approached Mackie, Richard explained to me how he'd screw every penny out of Mackie's pockets. To avoid criticizing Richard directly, I didn't want to look like a guy who badmouthed his ex-employer, I pointed out all the loopholes within the business model and explained that we could be taken advantage of from these loopholes if we proceed. Being a smart man, my new boss could sense something fishy about Richard, so he asked me to speak more about my experience. I told him about some of Richard's unethical behaviors mentioned above. Mackie Management not only decided not to invest in COG's properties, but they also blacklisted COG and Richard from being potential vendors. 
And there we go. That is the end of that one. You know what they say about karma? What goes around comes back around. And it sounds like Richard brought this upon himself. Really, he did. The beauty of this story is that he doesn't even necessarily know you had anything to do with it. Maybe he knows your new role. Maybe he doesn't. I'm not entirely sure. But one thing's for sure. I doubt that he knew that you were the one telling your new boss. Yeah, uh, my ex-boss, who's in charge of that part of the deal, uh, he's not the most ethical man. Let me tell you that. I know some revenge stories are fantastic when someone is very active in the revenge, right? And does it all themselves and lets the person they're doing the revenge on know about it. But there's something so beautiful about it being so secret. Opie, you were actively assisting in karma. Well, you're at the forefront here, but without Richard really even knowing, and it wasn't even vindictive. You were just doing your job. I guess that's why it's pro-revenge, and I guess that's why I love it so much. Right then, let's get into our second story of today's revenge episode. Now, as a little bonus for staying through the first one, I'm going to give you something extra special. This is some nuclear revenge. One too many times. When I was younger, especially throughout middle school, I dealt with bullying and toxicity constantly. I'd never been much of a Reddit user, but I decided to post my story after watching some of these on YouTube. This situation happened when I was in seventh grade. During that time, I was progressively bullied by a group of kids that I will call the Goonies. Now, I'm not a small person and I never have been. Around that time, I was around 5'11 and 150 pounds. Although I'm a bit big for my age, I've never been one to fight back. I have impulse control issues and ADHD. So when I get worked up, I have a hard time calming down or I go overboard. Even so, I can mostly hold back my emotions when on medication. So the Goonies, the group of kids who constantly made my life hard throughout my school experience. This group compromised five or six kids, mostly small and on the football team, but due to their numbers, they had an advantage over most people in my school. They preyed consistently on people who were without a group. Most of the time, they just took food items during lunch and asked for money from others. On the bad days, they would fight and take whatever they wanted. They've been preying on me and my group of friends for a while, mostly talking trash and taking food. This time was different though. I'd worn my grandfather's chain and cross to school that I'd gotten as inheritance when he passed the week before. When I tell you it meant a lot to me, it did. My grandfather was my pride and joy. We had the best relationship as my father was mostly out of town working. Now he's never been in the best health, but he got lung cancer a few months before and passed on. The chain was all I really had besides some model train sets and a ukulele. That day, I wore my chain to remove some of the grief I was feeling from his passing to make it through the day. My friends knew about the passing and were trying to comfort me throughout the day. But the one class I don't have with them was gym. And in our school, we are required to remove jewelry before class. That part was uneventful. The problem came when I went back into the locker room. All of the goons had gym the period after and I would see them as I was in the locker room. As I walked in and took my chain out of my locker, one of them took notice and immediately asked what I had in my hand. I, of course, not wanting to cause a problem, said nothing important. I went to the bathroom to put it on and when I walked out, all of them were waiting for me. They started to tell me to give them what was around my neck. In that moment, I was on the verge of tears because I didn't want to lose one of the only things I had left to remember my grandfather. So I made a run for it. They blocked the door and started punching and kicking me. I didn't want to cause a fight because I knew it would get out of hand. And up until then, I had a perfect school record. When they stopped, I sat up and started to try and leave. The main goonie, the leader of the pack, grabbed my chain and ripped it off me, breaking it and mangling the cross that my grandfather took such pride in. He started laughing as I stared at him in pure disbelief. I saw red. I lost it and started pummeling the main kid, grabbing him by his collar and smashing his head over and over again into the concrete while his friends watched, screaming to stop, trying to pry me away. 
The gym teacher heard all of the commotion. I don't know how he didn't hear me getting jumped before and came in running, yanking me away from the main goon and locking me in his office. He called the nurse and an ambulance. He was freaking out. I got suspended for three months only due to the cameras in the hall that could see into the window of the door. It witnessed them jumping me. The only reason I didn't get arrested was that camera. Thank God for technology. Now, this might not seem like nuclear revenge yet, but here is the list you are waiting for. Injuries, fractured skull, broken nose, broken jaw, eight lost teeth, and severe brain damage. He was out for four months with some time in the hospital. He didn't make it back onto the football team due to the fear his head would get hit. His grades also took a hit and he had to repeat two years. My group, on the other hand, have been free from bullying ever since. So, what do you guys think? Did I take it too far or was it deserved? Wow, what a story. I mean, listen, guys, you've got to do as OP says. Get down in the comments right away if you're on YouTube and let me know your thoughts before I even give mine. I mean, look, as I always say, (laughs) you can't advocate for just punching someone and dominating someone and sending them to the hospital, right? That's, I don't think that can ever be an answer. But in this spot, what else are you gonna do? Take it? Take them just beating the absolute trash out of you? Take them stealing the one sentimental thing that you now own that was your grandfather's pride and joy? No, you're obviously not. You've got to fight back in this spot, no matter what the repercussions are. So look, I can't really, I can't really have too many cars with you doing what you did. I've got to really say fair play. You took it extremely well and you fought for what was yours. That's kind of my opinion here. I think it would be easy for me to say you just had to deal with it later in a more, you know, calm way and get the school involved and, you know, get authorities involved and contact the police. I don't know. I think that's kind of BS to be fair. I don't understand, right, why your gym teacher, who clearly knew what was going on before, like you don't just hear half of a scuffle, sorry, didn't get involved right away. He only got involved when you were the one that was, you know, doing the the fighting. And maybe that was coincidence, maybe it was, but I don't, I'm don't. i not sure about that, you know. It seems like he just picked and chose his moment as to when to get involved. Ah, uh, overall, I don't know. It was your grandpa's item that he gave to you. Ultimately, I hope you can fix it and the damage to it wasn't too bad because that sentimental value you just cannot ever replace with money or time. Uh, OP actually says in the comments, that chain was passed down from his dad, but he still has it framed in resin and epoxy. He's ashamed that he hurt someone that badly, but they felt great for getting it off their chest in the Reddit. I don't know. Interesting. I kind of like that response because no one ever wants to hurt somebody that badly. But in that spot, you had to do what you had to do. And I do rate that you knew you had to do it, but you still feel ashamed about it because it's obviously not the greatest thing to put someone in hospital. Overall, I've got to say that the main moral I take from this is that bullies are a disgrace. And sometimes maybe it's good to put a bully in hospital. Maybe it's good. Use me, cheat on me, enjoy losing your friends and family, and have fun being ignored at work. Bonus points for possibly becoming homeless. I just found out two days ago that my boyfriend of four years is gay. Our relationship was a lie. He used me to cover his sexuality because he wasn't ready to expose himself. He told me that himself. He pretended to love me for four years. He acted like the perfect boyfriend for four years. We were discussing marriage and kids. He even took me to look at engagement rings. All the while, he was having an affair with a man. To top all of that off, his boy toy called me two hours after I walked in on them. Why? To tell me that he was bi and that we could all just be together. Are you kidding me? I didn't know if he was making fun of me or if he was really stupid enough to think that was a good idea. 
but yeah. If you're gay but act straight, I freaking hate you. What's worse is that my family believes I should have been nicer to him because gay people have it rough enough already. So because he's gay, then I can't be mad. I can't be angry. I need to be nicer to him. After his boy toy called, I texted my now ex if he was seriously making fun of me and he just said that it wouldn't be a bad idea. So I lost it. His mum and I were very close. So I texted her a lengthy message explaining what happened. And I told her that I can't stay in contact with her, at least not for the time being. She was shocked, but understanding of why I needed to go no contact. Well, his parents disowned him. Not for being gay, but because of what he did to me. The idiot went on social media to complain that his parents disowned him for being gay, but multiple family members commented and exposed him for the trashy human being that he is. Some of his co-workers had him on Facebook and TikTok and they saw everything. And now no one at work talks to him because of what he did to me. His friends were disgusted when they found out. His friends always liked me and they're also really big on monogamy. So they didn't want to be friends after they learned the truth. He needs to move out because we live together and now he can't afford rent on his own, but his budget is very tight, so he doesn't have many options. And they broke up. My ex had a fit when his mum called him. In retaliation, he broke the TV, my laptop, cut some of the clothes I still had at the apartment and smashed the coffee machine. So yeah, his boyfriend didn't like this outburst and he ended things. And yes, I am suing him for the damages. Okay, now let's get immediately into the update here because as you can tell, that first post was written very quickly after the event and OP has some following, maybe calmer thoughts. I want to start by saying that I wrote this post in a state of anger and I was too emotional to realize how bad it sounded. I do not hate gay people. I have no problems with the community. I'm sorry if I came across as a homophobic idiot. I really am not. I was just so emotional, so I'd like to apologize. I understand the community is going through a lot and I didn't want to come out as insensitive, so I'm sorry. Okay, that's good to hear. Not gonna lie, when she said, if you're gay but act straight, I freaking hate you, I was thinking, okay, maybe a little bit too far. Anyway, let's carry on. Okay, now the actual update. I received some comments and PMs from people that advised me to get a restraining order and make sure he can't find me. I unfortunately didn't consider them enough and as some predicted he followed me from my best friend's place to the grocery store and he trashed my car i'm talking slash tires broken windows and what i think is oil all over my car Thankfully, the parking lot has cameras and the police identified him in no time. He was arrested. I'm definitely filing for a restraining order and I'm looking to move to a different city. I will have to see him again in the courtroom though. Also, his ex-boy toy agreed to testify that he witnessed my ex breaking my things at the apartment. My ex is also going to be examined by a professional due to his actions. It appears that he may be suffering from some mental illnesses. I've contacted his parents and they are in shock, but they still refuse to have any contact with him. And there we go. A very interesting story to start today's episode. Now look, this man is obviously not the first man in history to secretly be gay but be in a relationship or be married to a woman as we saw not too long ago in the uk a famous tv presenter philip schofield who's in the thumbnail of this video came out as gay despite being married for decades and having children now when he came out he got so much support people saying that he was so brave and courageous for doing so which i completely agree with but on the other hand how about his wife in that situation how about op in this spot you know they're the ones that have kind of just been left in the dirt and maybe lied to for years. Now, with that TV presenter, you could argue it's different because he is actually a nice guy and still gets on with his wife and family, etc., etc. But in this story, yeah, this guy is just an absolute disgrace. But there's one thing realizing you're gay at some point during your relationship. It's another thing cheating on your partner with a man and still telling them that you're straight. You know, that is way too far. And then breaking all your stuff and hunting you down and pretty much stalking you and destroying your car. Yeah, get that man in prison. That's ridiculous. Lying and using people, I got you. 
This one needs background to fully understand why I went out of my way for this revenge. My best friend was married for 10 years, with his ex for a total of 13 years. He was absolutely head over heels in love with her like I'd never seen before, which I never understood due to her alcohol abuse. She would take it out on him, and when he'd be venting about it, he'd always fall back on, it's not her, it's the illness, a very respectable and admirable stance on it. Last year, she asked for a divorce, because after years of what I would call abuse, he had simply run out of gas. Her reasoning for asking for one? When she got fired for testing positive for weed, he wasn't empathetic enough. He admits he wasn't, because it had come on the back of one of her drunken tirades where she told him he was a POS who was always trying to control her, when all he ever tried to get her away from was booze for the way she treated him when she was drunk. It took him forever to move on from this with the divorce following shortly after. And earlier this year, after thinking he was moving on, he calls me to come over and he's in a bad way. I arrive and he's absolutely full down level of drunk, going on that she didn't ask for a divorce for those reasons, that she'd really been cheating with several other people. The next morning when he's more coherent, I ask him how he knew. He was cleaning out the spare room and selling and donating stuff he didn't need anymore. And when he went to clear an old tablet, she was still logged in and all of the evidence was there. He gets that out and says he's going back to bed and asks me to lock up when I leave. Before I left, I looked at the tablet and after seeing what I saw, I wanted to find a way to get even with the horrible and conniving woman. So I took pictures of it all and left. When I got home, I started looking up information about these people. Two of them were just normal guys. Whether they knew she was married or not, I don't know. But the third, well, the third comes up as a registered sex offender. Still on probation for being such a disgusting POS. An address listed as 123 Lane City States. This chomo knew that she was married. I immediately knew what I was going to do. This chomo didn't live at 123 Lane. The chomo was living with the conniving ex. She made regular posts about their time together. On top of that, she is an avid weed user and has several firearms because she enjoys sports shooting. So I go into the state sex offender site and make a report of the chomo not actually living where he's registered and that he's actually living in a home in which he has no right to be in given that he's a convicted felon and on parole i include screenshots of the social media posts and all to back it up i was thinking little would happen but an inconvenience to their lives boy was i wrong she broke her typical post with nothing serious trend on social media yesterday with this gem my year can't get any worse the tromo lost his job and i'm now facing eviction because i can't afford my rents so i go on the state court system site to see if it's related and yes it was he was rearrested. She clearly can't post bail or the choma would be out. The job she took after being fired definitely can't support her lifestyle. So he's probably going back to prison or at least jail and she is a breath away from being homeless. I don't know if I'd ever tell my best friend I was the one behind this, but he's definitely ecstatic to see a horrible woman and sewer rat get what they deserve. Yeah, nuts revenge, but very justified, especially given that this person was actually doing something illegal. To be honest, I'm not sure I'd tell him it was you who did it. Just let him be. As you said, that he's happy that the woman is going through a tough time because he thinks that she deserves it. And yes, she definitely does. So there's no real need for you to say it was you. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the misery that is now in her life. I mean, overall, I think we can all agree that we'd love to have a friend like OP in our lives to do things like this. This is unbelievable fair play. Make false accusations, lose your business. For some background, I used to work at a small to mid-sized law firm. At the time, there were 10 lawyers, including the owner. His setup was basically do as little work as possible and just take a cut from the rest of us as independent contractors. He was very much a it doesn't matter what they can afford, bill as much as you can type scumbag. 
One thing the firm handled was real estate law. I already looked after any real estate transactions, save maybe two to three per year over the two years I worked there. At the time he decided to let me go, he made a list of reasons, all of which were fabricated. Client complaints, missed court dates, etc. It came down to me asking for a bigger cut and him not wanting to have to pay it. I felt it wasn't worth going after him in court. However, shortly after my contract was terminated, I was reviewing my insurance and stumbled upon the fact that no less than 60 real estate transactions were filed with my bar under my name. Well, one of the rules where I practice is that in a situation like this, my name has to be on the retainer agreement and I have to have worked on the file in some capacity. So having a friend or two at the firm who were practically one foot out the door already, I got many of the phone numbers for these clients that weren't mine and asked for a copy of their retainer for my records. Most of them had no problem sending a copy. Obviously, I was on none of them. I quickly contacted the bar association. The whole thing ended up being a mess for this guy. Besides an intensely scrutinized audit, it turned out that he'd done this for every lawyer in the firm. He eventually was ordered to pay an absolutely insane fine, thinking high six figures, and had his license suspended for a few years. The firm shut down and he never went on to practice again. Felt good. Look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If there is one industry in which it makes no sense to try and cheat your workers or pretty much anyone out of anything, surely it has to be law, right? The people you've employed know their stuff. If you do something illegal like this, then you're obviously going to get sued by the people involved because they are lawyers. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Surely this will be the last industry you want to do this in. I mean, maybe people like this boss are just that dumb that they think, oh, I don't think that the people I employ for being good at law are going to be good at law when I do something bad on them. Like, it just makes no sense to me, clearly. How dumb have you got to be? I created a point of interest on Google Maps to annoy wealthy Karen neighbors. I live in a non-gated neighborhood that previously had one road both in and out. My neighborhood also has two schools on this one road. The traffic is ridiculous during rush hour or when schools get in or out. There's always been a public works plan to build a secondary exit from my neighborhood. It just so happens to connect to the main road by going through a portion of a also non-gated wealthier neighborhood behind us. Fast forward, the public roadway gets built as planned, and as expected, people in my neighborhood start using it to avoid the traffic on the other busier road. It legit shaves 15 to 20 minutes off any commute or drive. The people in this neighborhood have began posting to theirs and our Facebook page with the most ridiculous things and have gone to protest to their city council. Some examples to give you guys an idea are, they are ruining our lives by driving through daily. This road has derailed mine and my wife's life plans. They're currently attempting to petition the city to rule the road emergency use only and are also filing a lawsuit against the city, supposedly. They have several folks who will legit take photos of cars driving through and will count how many cars per day drive through. They've also tried to send my neighborhood HOA bills for the road, which, mind you, is a 100% public road that they did not even pay for. The latest thing is that they're saying this road is a gift from them. Overall, they're just pretentious folks, to be honest. I don't know why they think they're somehow entitled to anything. Now, I'm not a jerk. I totally get how this could be annoying for them, but they have generalized my entire neighborhood as public enemy number one. And to be honest, I just think it's hilarious. So, we made a point of interest on Google Maps called Shortcut to Davis Ranch and have been reviewing it five stars with the most hilarious comments. The goal being that anytime they look at their maps, they see this mention of the road they despise so much. Now, guys, you might be thinking, okay, yeah, sure you have, mate. Sure, this is just for a Reddit post. No. Have a look at this if you are watching on YouTube. What you can see here is the ranch, okay? This is it, right? OP gave us a link, and this is it. Now, here is where it gets interesting. I'm going to zoom out a little bit and just come over here slightly to the shortcut. 
This is it. This is the shortcut they made, I think. So there's two rows now instead of one. And this is what all the discussion and, you know, controversy is about. Now, if you click on the shortcut to Davis Ranch, you can see over here, 4.9 star rating, 21 reviews, including this one from Adam Norton just a few days ago. Five stars. I've heard nothing but great things about this shortcut. One of the absolute best, I'm told. If I lived nearby, I would take it constantly. Plan to visit soon just to try it out. Oh, and then another one. Nice shortcut. Too bad it goes through such ugly houses, though. It is what it is. That's three stars. I mean, this one's great from Kristen. Great shortcut with a generous freelance photographer. So good. So petty. Fantastic route with friendly onlookers 24-7. Highly recommend this as a drag racing spot. The best gift I've received all year. Nothing on my Christmas list will top it. The best gift in my life. Guys, there's actually free things in this world. I still have faith in humanity. I mean, just, just so good. So, so good. I love it all. Insane shortcut. I love barreling down the road at 75 miles an hour. Brilliant. You know, reading all these reviews has made me think I might just post one myself. So here we go. Five stars. What should we say? Simply the best road slash shortcut in the history of roads slash shortcuts. I am traveling to the US this Christmas solely to use this shortcut every day and experience its majesty i think that will do post okay there we go and there it is looks wonderful i trained a senior colleague to do what i want without him ever knowing i used to work in a role where i administrated the security access card system for a huge office an obnoxious colleague used to take a shortcut from the lobby through a meeting room and out the other side to his desk but in doing so he would leave the meeting room's entrance door open which was sound an alarm once he left the area i sat in the lobby near the door he left open and i was the one who had to get up and close it for him he didn't respond to polite requests to stop so i disabled his access pass but only on the second door which is closest to his desk he'd walk through the meeting room get six feet from his desk and be declined by the door this caused him to have to walk back to me to ask if something was wrong with his access i'd ask him to close the shortcut door he'd opened alarm now sounding and he always did then i'd act confused and say why don't you try it on that other door over there and direct him to the proper entrance to the office area which had a mysterious 100 success rate for letting him through i simulated an intermittent technical error by deactivating his card and then reactivating it for well over 12 months and i acted dumb anytime he questioned it I've asked ICT about it, but nobody knows, mate. Who knows how these systems work? Sometimes he'd forget his personal pass and I'd issue him a visitor pass and disable that on his shortcut too, which added an extra layer of obfuscation. Sometimes I'd allow him to use his shortcut and I'd happily close the door behind him, knowing that it was all part of his education. Eventually, he learned that it was always quicker to walk straight to the proper entrance and he stopped taking the shortcut and stopped leaving the alarm door near me open and he never found out that I trained him. Yeah, I guess that just proves that humans are animals capable of being trained by others. Uh, unreal. I mean, the fact that you didn't just do it in the first place is kind of silly, even when asked. But yeah, if you didn't do it, then you had to train him. Wonderful stuff. I'm just kind of surprised by this guy. Like, how did he not know the whole time that something fishy was going on? Especially when you had asked him in the first place to stop doing that, right? Maybe given that he was dumb enough in the first place to not stop doing what you've asked him to stop doing, he was also dumb enough to literally be trained by you. I tipped my ex-friend and bully as petty revenge. 
To start, this girl and I were best friends the first half of high school. However, something changed in her. She became depressed and suicidal because she was being severely bullied online. I reported what she told me to both the school counselors and her parents, and I told her that I told them. She decided I betrayed her and suddenly became a bully towards me. Ironically, she became friends with the girls who bullied us both right after. She later found out they were the online bullies too. My first job was front end at a restaurant and she knew when and where I worked So she made it a point to show up at my work where I really couldn't do much I had to serve her and her new friends She saw me coming and said to not expect a tip because service industry workers are servants who don't need to be paid That stuck with me for years. I told my manager that I refused to serve her or them ever again My manager was fine with it at that point as i'd made comments before From that day on, I never spoke to my ex-friend for years. Now recently, I went to my hometown in a local restaurant. Lo and behold, my waiter is my ex-friend. Again, I haven't spoken to her at all since that day that she basically said I was her servant. I decided to get petty revenge by killing her with kindness. I was polite, but never acknowledged that I knew her. She kept saying she swears she recognizes me from somewhere. I kept brushing the question off. Then came the bill. When the receipt for the tip came, I put a note on it that said, First and former last name Do you still think service industry workers are servants who don't need to be paid with a 100% tip on a $40 ish meal as I walked out I saw her face as she read the notes. She turned very very red I think my kind petty revenge got to her. Oh, wow. That is actually so much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought that you were going to do the same thing that she did to you and give you zero tip. But what you actually did was, first of all, way more petty in a way because it proves that you can give money. And it's also like in many ways stronger than if you hadn't. It shows her that you were just in a much better place. If you had done the same thing as she did to you, It would have come across as like super jealous full of hatred i guess but what you did actually just shows that you're just on another level right now like you're living your life doing whatever you're doing but being able to afford a 40 dollar tip on a meal and she's waiting nothing wrong with waiting but you know there are levels to this game and that is an unbelievable kick in the face it's like it doesn't get any classier than that it's just so good it also probably makes her feel way worse about it than it would have done if you given her nothing genius absolutely love that revenge keeping me up at night with your parties enjoy being shamed on the national news in september of 2020 the apartment next to mine was let out to two young women both students after they settled in a bit it turned out they wanted to have a party no big deal except belgium was in full lockdown at this point due to covid and you were supposed to only have one fixed visitor over but then again to be young again etc so i didn't really care during this time i was working in healthcare i work with the mentally disabled but i volunteered for the ad hoc covid team meaning i got called upon to tend to those residents who were sick and needed quarantining or were effectively diagnosed with COVID. This meant pretty long working hours and I spent about 10 to 11 hours a day at work with a full hour bike ride to and from. Needless to say, I was pretty tired pretty much all of the time. So I wasn't looking forward to the noise from a party, but I'm pretty chill and I know that living in the city, some noise is to be expected. So they're having their party and I can stand some noise and music but this party was freaking wild. People shouting full on in the hallway, wrecking things, etc. At about four in the morning, I introduced myself to the neighbors and asked them when they could expect their company, plus 20 people, to leave. And if they could refrain from having a party the next day, as I have to work and get up at 6 a.m. every day. So they promised they'd keep it down the rest of the nights, they didn't, and that they wouldn't have a party the next day. 
Plot twist, they did have another party and then did another one the day after. At this point, I'd been going a full three nights without sleep and was nearing neurosis. Every night I'd talk to the girls and every night they'd be full of apologies and stuff, but nothing would change. I also felt terrible when I had to enter their place because it would be absolutely packed with people and I work with some very vulnerable people at work who I would not want to spread COVID to. This was pre-tests, pre-vaccines, pretty much the knowledge we now have about COVID. Luckily, the weekend came and they went to their parents and I could recover a bit. Suffice to say, I wasn't really liking my new neighbors. During the next few weeks, they refrained from big parties, but they would have a constant flood of people coming over during the night. And by constant, I mean constant. Like their bell would ring 70 times a night and people would always be coming or going. And those people would be drunk and loud. Our communal hallway is pretty much an echo chamber because it's all stone and any noise will travel throughout the building. Basically, I couldn't rely on sleeping at night. It drove me crazy. I could only sleep Friday through Sunday because then they'd go off to their parents or whatever. I couldn't grasp how they could know this many people that would always be coming and going. During one night, while knocking on their door to complain about the noise, I encountered my upstairs neighbor, who was also on Reddit. And I decided that we would have to join forces to get this to stop. My neighbor told me some important bits of information. The reason there were people coming and going all the time was because they used their apartment as a makeshift bar or hangouts. During this time, bars were closed due to COVID and all those students were using the big apartment to hang out. Moreover, across the street was another frat house with five boys living there. And that too was a secret hangout. So people would hang out at those two places and cross the street if they wanted a different atmosphere or wanted to see other friends. And the boys from across the street would also come over 15 times a night. Most visitors seemed to be law students or affiliated with them. Basically, our communal hallway was just a part of their cafe space now. So we tried talking to the girls. Then we started to talk to the visitors. None of them had any sympathy for us when we were asking them to be quiet at four in the morning. Most of them just laughed at us as we were the pesky neighbors, no doubt. Even more of them were just so wasted that they didn't know what they were doing. So we started calling the police dozens of times. Most of the time they weren't let in and police told us they couldn't do anything. We kept calling as we wanted a record of our calls in the system. Belgium was still in full lockdown at this point and what they were doing was full on illegal. Even so, the police told us their hands were tied if they wouldn't open the door. When the police couldn't help, I turned to the next best thing. I'm a social worker and so I have no problems looking up information and calling around to look for help. And this is what I did. Most places, student unions, police, town hall, were understanding but couldn't really do much. So I acted on the suggestion of the upstairs neighbor and contacted one of the girls, Dean. I shot him a nice email about sorry to have bothered him and taking up his time, but I had this big group of students from his faculty ganging up every night and maybe he wanted to know about it since they were breaking every possible COVID rule that existed at the time. Especially since me and my neighbor were about to go to the papers with this story as secret lockdown parties were becoming a thing in the papers at this point. This Dean called me back right away and we had a nice talk about our problems. He told me he was on it. So basically what he did was call the law student girl and her parents. Big drama ensued and we finally got to sit down with the girls and they finally sounded like they were sorry. Tears were shed, for which I had no patience to be honest. We learned that the police had actually been inside a few times and they were issued tickets for having secret parties. 
Those were 300 euros each a pop. So I've got no idea why they didn't just stop. We learned that they were not happy because the dean had called them up at 11 o'clock and they were still asleep. To which I said, well, that's a you problem. You're still asleep at 11 o'clock. I'm up at six every day. And you girls haven't been a bit understanding about that. So we got to feel a bit like we got our revenge. And we got to vent. But we kept it kind of nice and parted in good terms. Hoping that this would be it. And we could live together as nice neighbors. But if that were the case, I wouldn't be here, right? You'd think they would have gotten the point now. And would refrain from making noise and partying. Well, you'd be wrong. Basically, what they did was they moved the frat house across the street and started partying there. There were slightly less people running to and fro, but the noise was still a problem. And we were now in the middle of the second COVID wave. And these people were meeting up with big groups like crazy, while I hadn't done so in almost a year. Never mind the people at my work who were forbidden from even going to their own freaking family the whole thing was just ridiculous. My upstairs neighbor happened to film such a party across the streets and had sent the clip to me. We were thinking about going to the press with our story, but we weren't really sure if it would be a good idea. So instead, I posted the clip of the party on the subreddit of our country to test the waters. It got quite some comments and upvotes, and it seemed most people were also sick of people disregarding the rules and having secret parties. After more chats with the upstairs neighbor, we decided to contact the press and simultaneously go up a step in the university hierarchy and contact the vice rector that had the power to start up a disciplinary case against those students. This person is one of 12 vice rectors for a total campus of about 15,000 students, so quite high up. Things moved fast. Local news actually picked up our story from Reddit and contacted me, and we gave some background info. They confirmed with the police that cops had been dozens of times to our address and across the street and weren't let in most of the time. We mentioned that the university was involved and that we hoped they would finally intervene. The next day, the piece was on their websites. It went viral there and got promoted to the sites of most national newspapers. Its headline was sensational enough, mentioning the dozens of times police had showed up and also mentioning how healthcare workers were being kept up by these selfish students. At the same time, the vice rector contacted us to take our statements, which we already had prepared up on paper and informed us they would investigate and could possibly start up disciplinary actions. At the same time, more reporters were contacting me throughout the day and we made sure to mention that to her and link the university the printed articles. The next day, while at work, I got a message from the upstairs neighbor that a film crew from the National News was at our doorstep. He declined to talk to them, and I would have done the same since this was getting pretty big now, but they made a segment anyway. And sure enough, that night at seven, here was my street and a short section about cops standing in front of a closed door a dozen times and the local press cop talking about the troubles of closed doors. Best part about it was that a student from the offending frat house across the street had let the film crew in and said on camera exactly what we were accusing them of towards the university. That they'd been having parties and didn't let the cops in and that they'd done it multiple times. I've got no idea what made him think that that was a good idea. Anyway, try not to make a huge story even longer. The press died down some time later, thank God, and the disciplinary action from the uni went through. Before the hearing, we sat down with the girls from our block and cleared some things up. We wanted to live like normal people together and we tried to make some amends. Because we put in a kind of good word for them, they got the lighter end of the stick. 
40 hours of community service and some probation. The guys across the street got 80 hours each and they each had to write us a letter of apology, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading every time I got one. The sad part is that most of them sounded just like dumb young kids, but that was after getting called out on the news and being part of a disciplinary action. But we never wanted to escalate things this far. Some noise is to be expected when living in the same building and we were never going to go to these extremes for some expected noise. But these people went to the extremes and so we were forced to do the same. For the rest of the year, a simple message on WhatsApp was enough to silence any noises we had coming from their apartments. If anything, I hope they learn that even very polite and chilled people can become very upset when presented with sleep deprivation and excessive noise. Yeah, I think that last sentence is so accurate. I mean, it's clear that OP is a very understanding person. They've come across like that their entire post. They know that a little bit of noise is to be expected. The occasional party, whatever, it's life. These people are young, they're students. It's obviously gonna happen, no drama. But when you go to this length, these extremes, being not just selfish with your neighbors and their time and having parties at night and you know stopping your neighbors from sleeping and doing their jobs, but also doing illegal stuff, yeah, then it's too far. I mean, to be honest, these students are lucky that they only had to deal with these sort of neighbors that were pretty kind and generous, let's be honest. Like if you'd had worse neighbors here, or I guess even more normal neighbors, less understanding, less compassionate people like OP, then uh, yeah, this could have been a lot more serious. I'm not gonna lie. Ultimately, a bit of community service for going against COVID guidelines, something that was legal in Belgium at this time is extremely lucky. And you're very fortunate that OP was your neighbor and not someone that wanted to, you know, dob you in a little bit more. Oh, and by the way, I assume a lot of you are wondering where the video is that OP's neighbor took. And um, yeah, it's on screen. Enjoy this. I'm going to narrate it for the audio viewers. Pretty much just across the street, there's a fat party going on. And remember, this is in the height of lockdown. It's not what you want to see. to be fair you can hear the bass and that is the thing that carries there is no way you're sleeping through that so ridiculous and listen i quite like a party myself guys i'll be honest with you but not in the height of lockdown and not every single night do something else now for our next story of revenge make a developmentally disabled boy cry lose your family my former boss is the worst human being i've ever met he did all sorts of things to mess with anyone he didn't like. So a while ago, I was at a family event in a local park, walking with a young boy from our family who was developmentally disabled with Down syndrome, Ben. Ben does fairly well, all things considered, but he's always been sensitive to anyone making fun of the way he looks or his condition. We're just having a good time on our little stroll, Ben and I both enjoying the day. Along comes my boss, walking towards him. I'll call him Rob. I cringe at seeing him, but smile and say hello to play nice. He says, There's something you don't see every day. A pair of ugly arsler walking together. At this, Ben bursts into tears as Rob laughs and walks off. I deal with Ben and ignore Rob. I'm super angry and trying to calm Ben down because for a few minutes, he was totally distraught. Finally, I get Ben to focus on how he has me and a lot of other awesome friends and family and that Rob is a stranger and what he thinks doesn't matter. We walked some more and I saw that Rob was at the park with his wife and teen daughter having a cookout and he'd apparently been on his way back to his family from a trip to the toilets when he saw us. Back to being super angry. I went back to our gathering and talked to an adult cousin of mine, Jake, telling him what had happened. 
Now, Jake wanted to get revenge on Rob, but I reminded him that this was my boss. I didn't want Rob to be able to know the revenge had anything to do with me because then he'd make my work life even worse than he already did. So Jake asked me for anything I knew about Rob that might help. I told Jake a bunch of things, but the relevant info here is that Rob liked to drink a particular kind of locally made beer at a certain bar. Robert talked of having a drink there on the previous Friday night while his wife and daughter were away visiting her family. Also, Robert recently told a story at work about his wife's obsession with a particular little green fictional character. Let's call it Yabi Boda. Turns out his wife kept a stuffed Yabi Boda on their bed at all times. Now, I wasn't there for the revenge setup itself because I didn't want Rob to see me, but Jake filled in the details afterwards. It was basically this. Jake approached Rob and put an arm around his shoulders and tried to kiss him. Rob pushes him off. What are you doing? Rob's family is now paying attention. I'm just so excited to see you, sweetie. Friday night was so amazing, says Jake. What are you talking about? Seriously? You're going to act like you don't remember now? I know you're a bit tipsy after all of those local beers at the local bar, but certainly you remember what happened later. What? Nothing happened later or ever. I don't even know your name, said Rob. Really? But you were screaming it on Friday. At this point, Rob turned red. You lying son of Rob's wife at this point interrupts. Listen, I don't know who you are, but this is my husband. I'm sure you've mistaken him for someone else. Please just leave us alone. Oh, no, I'm not mistaken, says Jake. We had the best sex ever on Friday night, and now he's acting like he doesn't even know me. No, I told you this is my husband. You're mistaken. Oh, maybe I am. I guess it was someone else who took me back to his place on, he says, Rob Street and had great sex with me on the bed right next to Yabi Boda. Sorry. Jake turns and walks away. He then overhears Rob's wife saying to Rob, Oh my God, Rob, what is wrong with you? You're gay now? Really? Already long story made a bit shorter. Rob's wife wasn't real happy with him anyway, and this was apparently the tipping point that made her file for divorce soon thereafter. Rob frequently complained at work in the following months about how he didn't care about his wife, but really missed his daughter, and how much it sucked to live in his new place compared to his old home. Every time he complained about his lack of a home life at work, I knew he did it to himself when he was mean to a developmentally disabled kid. The best part is he never figured out that I was involved at all. I mean, that is quite possibly the most simple revenge, but the most effective revenge that I've seen in a long time. Literally one conversation to just decimate a man's entire life. How good is that? Anyway, guys, that is going to do it for three hours of the very best revenge stories of the year so far. Some absolute classics in there. And we're only a few months into 2023. If that's how the rest of the year is going to go, then boy, am I excited. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you want more revenge stories right away, I've left a couple of other videos and episodes down below in the description and on screen right now for your viewing and listening pleasure. If you're new to the channel and haven't already done so, after three hours of listening, hit the button, just subscribe, follow me on whatever platform you're on, turn the notifications on too, and I'll see you tomorrow for a brand new Reddit episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.